My name is Rob Achenkloss, and this is the Holocene Podcast, where we seek knowledge from the most creative, adventurous, and bright among us. These individuals are storytellers, entrepreneurs, athletes, designers, musicians, and everything else in between. It is my job as the host to take what they have each learned in their own lives and codify their knowledge so that you can use their lessons in your own life. In this episode, I am joined by Cyrus Reynolds. But before we get to him, I'd like to remind you all this podcast is sponsored by the Holocene Newsletter. The Holocene Newsletter is a newsletter that I pump out every single week, and it can be found on holocene.substack.com, and you can always expect to find a single focus expose, a couple key new things that I've tried and listened to and experienced, as well as a photo essay. I encourage you all to check it out. So far, I've only been five episodes or iterations in, and it has been quite popular. Back to Cyrus. Cyrus Reynolds is a Los Angeles-based composer that leans heavily towards the cinematic and the dramatic. His vivid style is the result of a background in contemporary orchestration and cutting-edge sound design. He has collaborated with artists such as Novo Amor and S. Carrie Boniver, and let me tell you, he is just getting started. A classically trained composer, Cyrus holds a Master of Arts from London's prestigious Royal Academy of Music. His radical approach to sound design has led to features by artists such as Kanye and Chance the Rapper on the song Waves, Justin Timberlake on Morning Light, Rihanna on the song Needed Me, and Coldplay on the album Ghost Stories. At the heart of his sound is the orchestra, most recently working with the Philharmonic Orchestra and the London Contemporary Orchestra at Historic Abbey Road for his 2018 album Love and a Perfect Vacuum. In 2019, he was awarded the Royal Academy of Music's coveted honor of Associate ARAM for his contributions to his field. Now, this conversation between Cyrus and I is wide-ranging, and we do get into the weeds at a couple different points in time, but we always make sure we're clear in explaining exactly what we're talking about if you're unfamiliar with the subject matter at hand. Cyrus is someone that I've looked up to for a long time, and I've always appreciated his music since it's been in my library for a few years now, and I really think that you all not only enjoy this conversation, but also learning more about him and spending some time with his incredible discography that I just think is the beginning of something incredible. So as always, we talk about a lot of things. You can find all linked things we mentioned below in show notes, which is linked in the bottom of whatever podcast app you're listening to. And I hope you all enjoy this conversation between myself and Cyrus Reynolds. Life is either an incredible adventure or it's nothing at all. Cyrus, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, what is the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? Oh, man. Um, what, I, what I want to be that day. Um, yeah, like who I want to be, how I want to be that person. Um, and it's very much compartmentalized day by day, for sure. And do you want to expand on that? So what do you mean by who you want to be, what you want to achieve or what you want to do? Or um, I feel like often I have to jump from uh, some really different kind of <laughs> really different textured and colored hats. Um, and that's that can the only thing that really um, allows me to reset those is, is just the sleep cycle and just the brain going off and doing its thing. So I try to kind of compartmentalize what I'm doing by yeah, by the day. And so I'll try to kind of be really uh, mono-focused on that day and really um, delivering on what I need to do uh, creatively and, and what kind of, um, yeah, what sort of energy I need to uh, muster up for the project I'm working on. Because Got it can it. be totally different. I can be like 
really trying to dig deep into like the spiritual aspect of of like who I am and what I want to say and what this year is and all of that. Or it could be like I'm I have to deliver for this this brief this this project and and here's how it fits the picture and I, I'm a, I'm a slave to that you know you know what I'm saying so totally. Um, totally you have to kind of switch switch the brain a little bit and and beyond that so to anyone that isn't familiar with your work just based on name recognition from clicking on this episode uh, I'm gonna have you explain what you do through a very simple question which is how would you describe the work you do now to your eight-year-old self? I write, <laughs> I write the music that I love and love to listen to, uh, and trying to find a uh, a purpose and a place for that music. And and do you think that this eight-year-old version of Cyrus would be proud of modern Cyrus? He wouldn't know what the fuck he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and really it's just, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, God, like, yeah, career paths, all of that. It's just so, it's so interesting. Um, it doesn't really, I mean, you're, you're probably the same way in a lot of the people you interview. Um, but you're kind of, you're creating your own, your own destiny, your own pathway. It doesn't exist previously. Um, which is just really weird and like harrowing kind of all the time because like, yeah, you're just guiding it. And so and if you're kind of in the mid like life cycle of that, like, you know, I'm far enough into it where I, I know exactly what I want to be doing and I pursue that every day with all of my heart. But it's not like there's like a like decided world commitment of like this is who you are and like you're on the back end of your of your career. Like I'm you know, I feel very much like I'm getting started but with a healthy amount of conviction now at this point, which yep. I guess my eight-year-old self would be like, "Good job, dude!" <laughs> but um, yeah, high five. Um, but yeah, it's like, but it's taken God a long time to get get there. But yeah, coming from like a classical background where it's like you kind of think you know what your career path is going to be, and it's like, yeah, it's still kind of like you're not sure. But then, like when I left, I completely just started trying to shape it and uh, into the music that I wanted to make and where I could find a way to make a living doing that. And, and so walk me through kind of that, that path you just mentioned. Um, I, I guess the first question to ask is when did you start playing? I'm guessing you started with a single instrument at a certain age and it kind of took off from there or is it a different yeah. story? Yeah, I started, um, I grew up in Rochester, New York um, and I grew up playing uh, the trombone and uh, I was just like really into, well, I wasn't really into it at all, to be honest, um, until I was like 16. And then, um, I, my dad started getting me into like, uh, some recordings, uh, just like Mahler symphonies. And like, I was kind of like a kid who like, I don't know, it was, I didn't have anything I actually like listening to. It was like, you know, like my friends were like, oh yeah, this like fucking Blink-182 record. It's, I'm like, yeah, cool, man. Um, you know, it's just like, I didn't, nothing was like kind of gelling and then I heard this um this Mahler 3 symphony and it was just like it was so metal like it was awesome it just it starts with just like the most crazy horn fanfare you've ever heard and it just like doesn't let go of you for like an hour (laughs) and that's it was so cool and so I just like I just dug so deep into that and I didn't know why or what my path was into it but yeah and so I just like loved that at the moment playing that instrument was like a relationship to that orchestra to that experience of being in the back 
of this like huge machine that was just like hurtling forward at like a million miles a second and yeah. you know just changing on a dime and like playing for audiences and it was so cool so it was just like my kind of pathway into that um and like the more and more i got into it i was just starting to realize that i could actually do like the creation part i don't really know how that kind of happened but i think i was doing some like um you know class assignments of like writing yeah you know exercises like here make something for your yourself or whatever and i was like this is so cool i just like loved it so much more than everything else um so then yeah like the hardest part so far was like making that transition from like you know doing like a very set thing in your life yeah and a lot of people do it you go into school wanting to be like a zoologist and then you end up in i don't know like running a a startup or something like that it has nothing to do you know but um yeah switching that like that's that's really tough but like enough examples existed of what i wanted to do and you know listening to music by you know incredible composers Hans Zimmer I went to when I was studying in London I would I saw Max Richter perform in 2009 yeah at Cadogan Hall and that was like that was pretty yeah I guess that was a long time ago but it was just like it was so awesome and I loved it so much and it was just like this string quintet up there and these cool visuals of uh, on screen that were just kind of like ambient and supporting the music of these like people walking by and it was really cool um and it just like yeah definitely uh like seeing artists in london was like a formative experience for me and like really like taking it another level and being like okay you don't have to do it like the strict classical way because like at that point i was like i'm gonna be a conductor i'm gonna be a classical composer i don't know how but i'm just gonna do it. i want to be like and just to place us uh how old were you at this time oh probably like 21 22 um yeah and i was like just figuring that all of that shit out and i um i saw olaf arnold's in like 2009 probably as well um and just like yeah i was like these guys are so cool <laughs> i love what they're doing um and yeah it's just it's really cool seeing people inspire you um yeah when just seeing people do things with like a conviction um early on like before it's accepted like there's a moment in time where you just do something like so absurd and yeah. sometimes really expensive and like self-harming in in a financial yeah. way uh exactly. and it doesn't make sense until like reaches the middle of the bell curve where like until it's like fully accepted and then it sure ages out it's until its own autumn which yeah so now it's like this whole there's like a pretty like vibrant neoclassical movement but like dang back then it was just it was just like this really cool guy from Iceland and, and Max Richter, yeah. you know, and they're like, I'm going to spend a lot of money recording like string quartet music and like just, I'm going <laughs> to play come the back. same I chords. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to play the same chords over and over again. And yeah, that's, I'm just going to do that and it's going to be beautiful. And like, I can guarantee you everyone in their community at that time was like, no, this is not contemporary classical music. This is not what you do. You know, this is yeah. really boring. I mean, I've heard the same things. Um, you know, myself, but like, at least I had these like kind of small heroes to like, be like, no, but look at that. So do you have any other large heroes besides Zimmer, Arnold's or Richter? I mean, the nice thing about me is that because I I played music as well growing up, um, big film buff, never really pursued it, still kind of play casually, but um, you know, 
every single thing you just mentioned, I, I, I know incredibly well, right? Like I could tell you that's like my favorite, my favorite piece, my favorite track. And so I, I nerd out on the same thing that, that, uh, <laughs> that you do. So, um, just out of curiosity, like and besides those three, which, um, I think are, I think Zimmer, everyone knows as long as they've been to the movie theater in the past 10, 15 years. Yeah, um, absolutely. Richter, I think, um, his piece on nature of daylight was really made popular by the movie arrival. Uh, it's like the opening piece that it kind of is the theme throughout the entire movie. It's yeah. And really that was like beautiful. a year ago. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, exactly. That's and that was really so well done. And then Arnold's, I think I discovered Arnold's through Nils from like, that's, I think yep. like, I was, I was like, you like Nils. So you, you would like Arnold's. Um, yep. so who else in that group for you really kind of so there was there was one record I discovered when I was working in um, in the library at the uh, Eastman School of Music, uh, the first uh, school I went to. Um, they uh, I just found this like CD. I don't know, like the cover was just kind of cool. It was like really just like yeah. kind of moody, and um, I just like put it on, and I was absolutely transfixed by it. It's called Portraits. It's just a compilation of these. Uh, contemporary classical composers but uh, one of them is uh, John Adams who's really um, yep. in the more popular side his light over water part three is on there um, and another is Somai Sato I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that totally right but um, yeah. I believe he's a Japanese uh, composer and his piece is called mm -hmm. Birds and Warp Time 2 and it's just like really beautiful like impressionistic minimalist uh, piano piece that just like really like quickly flutters and drones over these these right hand piano figures and this violin like slowly slowly kind of develops and becomes like just really savage towards the middle but it yeah, starts off I really beautiful and it's just really I don't know so discovering some of those pieces um, oh and then another one is this Fog Tropes piece Gradual Requiem which actually I heard in the soundtrack for Shutter Island when that came out and I was like, Oh man, <laughs> that's a throwback. Yeah, that's a throwback. <laughs> well, I don't know. So I, so then another part of, um, yeah, I just, I, mean, I wouldn't call it a regret, but just like doubting yourself is just like the hardest thing. Like I said, when you're in this kind of in this deep water and yep. you don't really know, know where to go, that's kind of the hardest thing I think. Um, Agreed. And figuring out where that, that conviction, where that energy is spent or those resources. Yep. Because like what's been like harrowing is like over time is seeing all of these things, not all of them, I shouldn't give that much credit, but uh, many things which I thought were incredibly niche and weird, like have become um, popularized on these like other art forms and, and picked up by music supervisors, directors, um, yep. you know, just incredible music listeners. And they're like, I, this is, this says something to me and that's so powerful. And, uh, so eventually enough of those happen where you're like, all right, <laughs> I, I need to start, um, just kind of trusting these intuitions and, and using, uh, every bit of my energy and, and resources to make those happen. Yeah. And, and so it seems like, you know, one of the questions I was going to ask you is, you know, the background in your life of, you know, music's importance to, to its existence. And I think that you basically just answered that question. And so kind of expanding off that, I would like to know, is there a particular moment when you kind of realized that you were just going to go all in on making this your future? And, and what was that? Do you remember like a specific moment where you're like, this is it. I don't care how much I lose in the process or what could happen. I'm just going to go for it. I I think yes, but also like it's never been that heroic. It's always been just like 
progressive. <laughs> like every moment just ha- is an individual like choice. And, and that's like, it doesn't stop either. Like I still feel like I'm in that, in the, at those gates kind of approaching yep. those questions all the time where I, like, for example, I, I'm looking at recording a new album and I'm looking at like how I want to do it. Okay. I want to, I want to do it with a with a full orchestra this time and every single yep. track. Okay, I want to do 15 tracks and you know how how do I pull this off and like okay, well, let's just do this. You know, you you budget for it and you and you make it happen. Um yeah, I don't know. Um that's that's kind of that took a while to get to that point. Um I a couple of moments where I took those leaps. One was where I was um transitioning out of um out of school i was you know as a uh, classical musician i left the royal academy of music in london and i i got basically got kicked out um by the government there because my student visa ended it it was so messed up they were just like throwing out students because they assumed it was like a another like bullshit like anti-immigration policy kind of thing you know it's just like kick kick everyone out as soon as they're students because we don't trust anyone um and so I just left um, and I was, I was working in a studio job a little bit, but it was like just part time uh, working for Guy Chambers, who's a songwriter out there. And uh, it was cool. I learned a lot from from him. And, and that's probably what got me into songwriting in the first place. So I, I had that taste of it and that, that lifestyle, you know, like being in a studio with the, the gear humming quietly at night and yeah. like an incredible, like, you know, top 40 artist walks in the room and you're like working with them on an intimate level. And it's like. Yeah. You're not like seeing them like from the from the you know, the back of a, an arena. You're like literally like talking to them about their vulnerabilities and that was really yeah. powerful. Um and I was like, man, I, I wanna do that, but then I wanna merge it with my, my classical roots too. So um but I just had to find a way to get started and, and just be in the in another city like London. So um for that leap for me was uh getting a job working at output with they um they make sample libraries for um yeah i just they're they're incredibly well used now in uh, in pop music in film music yep. um and uh yeah I, there was just a, a a kind of um a young young company uh startup and they were just kicking off with a few members and i joined on kind of just doing everything uh which at first i probably resented like doing like tweets and tech support and whatever they needed to needed me to do in addition to writing demos um of their pieces but it also told me taught me how to hustle um uh and kind of work on my own um social media presence because that's just like whole nother thing like you have to dive into i mean it's like it's not the same age as it was for our you know parents or grandparents like you have to you can write a great piece that's fine but you have to then jump on photoshop and make a great artwork that expresses yeah. what that means to you and then you know create a platform and then create a website that's integrated with that and it's just like it's totally different i mean I'm, i know i'm speaking to the choir of anyone in our in our age group um yeah absolutely but it's just yeah so um yeah i was really grateful for for all of that and then um the next leap was realizing that i needed to be writing every day of my life not just the days that that i had time to um so i left output after a couple of years after working on their excel um uh, engine which was a really cool like vocal vocal instrument that they made uh, that was quite popular but um, so I left them and I said I need to do this much more and every day and when I left it wasn't 
it didn't it was definitely wasn't every day because I still had to like make it work somehow. Yeah. So um, I was just picking up just any kind of odd like musical jobs and anything, but still pushing music is hard. But I think when you do that, when you make that leap, a majority of the time, you're now allowing yourself to accept opportunities that would otherwise you'd be closed off to. So yeah. it was er- kind of early in that time that the former um, or the, the owner of Output uh, Greg Lehrman reached out to me and said, hey, I'm, I'm doing some music with uh, Universal and they're doing it with an orchestra. And uh, I was wondering if you wanted, to, I know you write some, you know, some music that's orchestral. I was wondering if you wanted to write some with me. And I was like, oh man, this is my chance. <laughs> I can yeah. get back, back to this world because I had come from like, so when you're in college, you can kind of like walk into any practice room with your your friends and like bring them into the studio and just like interrupt them and hey yeah. i want to record this like this minor scale really slowly and then like fuck it up and do something cool and be artistic and that's like really accepted yeah. but the minute you leave you're all of a sudden a professional composer quote unquote so it's like okay you know what this is going to cost you know this premium rate and you have uh, you know, the union involved and what's this for? And it's all these really scary questions yeah. uh, that are very like antithetical to, to making art, um, which those things need to happen. Don't get me wrong. You know, musicians deserve to be paid um, so they can keep making great, great music. But it's very scary as a young composer. So, um, yeah, that just that opportunity in and of itself, I just jumped on. And it was an album uh, that didn't have to have... Um, vocals necessarily it's supposed to be a like a purely an instrumental album but it might be cool if you throw in some like vocal like background sounds but um i had recently met um this uh, artist um ivan howard um who is really good friends uh with a lot of the bon Iver crew um and he Justin had met, think, company yep yeah exactly i think he had met greg Lehrman or something. I forget how we were introduced to each other, but we, we kicked it off and we're hanging out in Topanga, uh, California, or where I was living. Um, it's kind of like a mountain community near outside of LA yeah. that everyone beautiful, thinks beautiful is about. Place. Yeah, four hours away. <laughs> it's like yeah. crapping on it all the time, but it's, uh, it's really great. And um, yeah, we were hanging out and we started writing a song and we wrote this like really like moody kind of like cinematic jam called Into the Shadows. And it was awesome. I had, a, I had a blast with him writing that. And um, yeah, and then and that got recorded remotely and or, with orchestra. And I just like saw what was possible. And then I think it, it must have done pretty well with with kind of getting out there and, and doing some like um, some licensing, uh, which it was the job of, um, of Universal at the time. And so that that led to like a comeback, like, hey, you know, you want to do that again? And you can kind of like we didn't ask you to make that track, but it was it was crazy and uh, it kind of worked out, and um, and so I think they just kind of trusted that uh, whatever instincts I was I was working on at the time, which was really really lucky, um, and yeah. allowed me to write write my first uh, five track EP, um, which is your correct? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. so um, yeah, I was just kind of pulling together all the things I love, you know. 
I was like, you know, really listening to, um, you know, a, a electric shoegaze artist, you know, like M83 and and that kind of thing. And also like uh, really into film scores. I loved whenever Radiohead did like an orchestral version of something, yes, um, yeah. you know, on like the, the Spectre, the James Bond thing is so cool. Yeah. And like obviously there are other albums and just that merging of, uh, of kind of the indie band or artist world uh with the orchestral world is just something i've always been endlessly fascinated by um and yeah i'm gonna pause you there just quickly um because i I do want to i do want to let you nerd out on one particular track that comes to mind or two two actually uh okay will be as dear to you as they are dear to me um for blue planet 2 hans zimmer and radiohead teamed up um yeah i don't know if you've seen that oh Oh yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> uh, with the uh, I forget what the word that made like a title orchestra where every player was only essentially responsible for playing a reciprocal melody to the person next to them to make it sound like a, a tonal variation, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they were creating like uh, sonic waves through like fragments, uh, which is incredible. Yeah, um, yeah, that's 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 brilliant. It's almost like the storytelling of it is also really brilliant. I mean because you really don't know like how they you never know how intentional that yeah. kind of thing is like and not, not to throw any shade but i just mean like oftentimes you're in there creating and you're just kind of creating textures and shapes and feeling it and then yeah. you're like wow like look you you find that you find out that you've drawn a connection like deep in your subconscious that you didn't know was even there and i i yes. feel like i feel this a lot when i'm when I'm creating, I start like combining these like elements, which whether they're their feelings or or lyrics or, or numbers or colors, and just like things start like connecting and all becoming like full circle, and it gets really kind of weird and, and creepy. Yeah. Um, but you just realize exactly how your brain's working in the background uh, because it is like there's there's some really great books out there about the the way our brain uh, we give too much credit to our active brain function. It just works in the background all the time. And then we're kind of like these monkeys up front, <laughs> you know, yeah. just like operating, uh, operating the machine or thinking we are. Um, and that's really cool. Um, so that, yeah, things like experiences like that, you know, teach you to like s- take a step away from things and let, let, let them simmer and develop kind of in your brain. It sounds really, you know, really obscure, but it, it actually, it really works. Um, and that's why people have like all sorts of tools, like, Venn diagrams, they help you make connections to things, you know, and that you can take that as far as you want it. But as a musician, you're always trying to tap into that subconscious. So I think they did a brilliant job of like connecting those visuals um, and that that idea. It's incredible. Yeah. And and going off that, I think the second, you know, combination of electronic and orchestral that's very, very dear to my heart. Um, you mentioned MBD3, um, the soundtrack he produced for Oblivion is not only probably my favorite soundtrack of all time, but also probably one of the most underrated soundtracks ever made, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. It's amazing. Um, with with uh, Joe Trapanese. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's, it's incredible. incredible. Yeah. Um, um, I'm glad you find that, too. No, I think I think that was probably... I, it's an incredible soundtrack. It's it's yeah, it's it's absolutely stunning in, in the, the scope and the size of what it did. I think that film as a whole, um, it just you know, it had its launch and people were frustrated with the script or the writing or, or whatever, but, and that maybe allowed them to overlook the soundtrack or I don't know. It's just people. Yeah. Maybe people were feeling like it was like an over, 
um, over glossy or you know commercialized or cinematic version of of M83. But I thought it was absolutely stunning and no, an incredible collaboration between those two artists, and really incredible. Yeah, and I'm I'm just I'm so lucky that that I've shared it with so many people, and I just think that it's it's one of those ones that. Uh, I, I think like when I when I search for music, I spent a long time the years after searching for music that reminded me of that, like the, the feeling of kind of like a little bit orchestral, but also something else. And I didn't care what the something else was with electronic or rap or something just super funky. Um, and when your when I came across your music, I actually I actually just looked at it. So I, I, I first added your stuff to my library on January 24, 2019, um, which ah. was two years, two months ago. And yeah. um, I, I think it was it just showed up one day, or I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll figure out where I found it. I promise you, I'll get back to you. But um, it was one of the first albums, Yearn, that I'd heard in a while that reminded me of the Oblivion soundtrack. And that is okay. why, like, and because, like, that, that just, like, epic. And the first song I ever heard from yours, which is still my all-time fave, is Lux. Um, yeah. And it's one of the songs I actually use to test speakers. When I'm like, people, I mean, I kind of someone knows speakers all in my apartment. They were like, "Oh, play something cool." I'm like, <laughs> I, ha- "I have a, I have a song for you." Um, That's amazing. Wow. And so, so going off that, and kind of let's make this transition into talking about um, yearn. How is like? It's two parts. How, could you describe your process to us when you start to finish on making these EPs, and and how has it evolved as you've you're now you just released Wildlight, which is your most recent single. Um, That's right. Uh, how, how what is the process in like a very basic way and then how has it also evolved okay um yeah that's a great great question um it's always a little bit different for each song but i honestly i need to set some sort of i need to have a deadline in place um and i've been most successful with these eps when when there's a major like kind of uh kind of big bad guy in the room not bad guy but like a you know a label or you know somebody saying like hey this is this is what needs to be done and usually i've been lucky that that's like a a, an orchestral session so that's sort of your mark that's your deadline where you have to cut everything that you're like experimenting with and and just go for it because it it doesn't you don't have another chance at that it's a it's a three-hour moment in time it's glorious and it's and it's done and you you hope all of your preparation was in place um and so i'll I'll often start um start with a sonic world I, i i like to think um each song is kind of creating an environment um for you to live in to enjoy writing a song in so I like to kind of create with sound design using um, oftentimes sound design that I've made with uh, perhaps with output or things I've, I've, I've made uh, on my own time um, and create these kind of sonic like tapestries or worlds you can go into that then get the ideas inspired for music and melody. Uh, so once that's in place, yeah. I'll go in and that, that starts getting me more creative. The song creates an identity for itself and that's really everything to me. Um, and, uh, and then I'll, I'll go in and each process is different. Sometimes depending on the artist I'm working with, sometimes I'll have a, a fully written song, like fully finished, um, like I did with, uh, S. Carey, um, for that song, Full Worker. Uh, other times it's, it's something that's like, um, uh, more balanced or entirely given off. So like the song, um, 
that I did uh, called Finder uh, from the, the next album was entirely written uh, in terms of like the, the lyrics and the, and the, um, the melody um, by uh, John Goshevich, um, or goes by Folio. So it, it just really varies. So in, in the Yearn album, uh, working with Keeley was really great when we did um, The Wolves because she came in and I had this like demo that was like fully kind of structured out, usually just like a verse chorus kind of thing. You'll do like intro verse chorus. Uh, enough to kind of form a shape off of um, and it had like this really like bombastic like brass bottom to it and like these kind of like kind of clacking percussion which I thought was kind of cool and so she was kind of vibing off of that um, that build and, and I was really excited about like the strings having this like foresty feel this kind of like woodsy kind of um yeah this like deep dark like german forest kind of vibe um where like it's not a pretty forest but it's like a kind of dark brambly uh one and uh that was an exciting kind of texture so uh i i created a piano kind of chord structure because it's really incredibly difficult to write um the more sort of pop uh songwriting that or or kind of traditional songwriting you want to do is really difficult over really obscure textures or obscure rhythms. So I try to kind of create a, a harmony or a balance between um, having an element, sometimes that's temporary, like a piano or a guitar that follows like a normal, like four by four by four pattern um, above a really crazy texture, like strings doing their own thing entirely independent of each other. Um, so that allows you to kind of like be like okay this is not that scary i'm i'm just i'm writing a song and the the chords are here and so keely wrote the the verse over that and then sent a, a chorus back um and i was like oh this is cool i think I, the verse i was absolutely in love with she sent me like completely finished like the vocals as you hear them are what she sent me which is amazing like whenever That's someone does incredible. that to you yeah. it's just like it sends sh like shivers down your spine and no matter if you're listening to it on an iphone or your your system it's just like wow it, it just you know it's it's right and um and then uh we worked uh back and forth a little bit until we figured out a uh a chorus and i sent her like this like i have a like really terrible singing voice and that's why i don't feature on any of the songs but i i sent her back this like kind of like shrieking idea and it kind of worked and it became the chorus that we have on there um and then she put it like found a way to rehash it with the same lyrics that she had from before which was like this really kind of like cosmic feel of like you know she was yeah the lyrics were really really cool how they kind of develop um it felt kind of like this development of like um i don't know these like space kind of fighters in a, in a way like the wolves are were very obviously very figurative but to me it was like very cosmic rather than like something kind of more earthy um yeah, i thought that was really cool how she she wrapped all that together um yeah and so they can have completely different um processes it just depends on the artist because you have to be very mindful of working with the the vocalist and um, you have to make sure that they're put in a really good light as well, like making sure it fits with their range and just feeling like they're um, like supported in as many ways as possible to get the best out of them because otherwise it's just no one's going to like it and the whole process shuts down. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you have to be really careful, I think, um, and really collaborative when it gets to that stage. And then you're moving on from the the vocals you have that done it's enough to create the rest of the the full track you know sort of whether you're just chopping around and copying and pasting verses until the lyrics change or something like that uh and then i'm adding orchestra and orchestrating and then like really at that point like the excitement's kind of going on my end because you're you can imagine what it's being and everything you lay down at that point is something it's exciting because it hasn't existed before and it can only work 
in this moment in time and it's just it's such a captivating feeling when you're kind of like orchestrating and finishing the song at this like kind of rapid stage um and uh once it's finished and and kind of stretched out in terms of all the the parts and elements around there uh i usually orchestrate it uh myself um because i just i come from that world and i enjoy those little details uh sort of nerding out on the uh, on the score um and then it gets recorded and i get these amazing recordings back of like 40 different microphones uh in a pro tool session that <laughs> i have to then go through which uh thankfully then uh usually gets mixed um by someone like in this case it was satoshi who had mixed um uh anthony's work md3 um from uh, oblivion so uh satoshi had that that was kind of the connection there because I was a, obviously a fan of that yeah. score and with when you have a bigger label like Universal behind you I was able to be like I, I want this person to help <laughs> and and uh, and so we were able to get him to help and he did an incredible job mixing this whole project um, and he mixed the the following album as well um, so yeah it's and that's kind of the the process um, it really varies uh, but I think it starts with something that really inspires you uh, which for me is like a sound world. Yeah, um, I, I loved all that. And it actually makes sense. It's like for most people that are unaware, um, you know, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I attribute like the mixing of a piece of audio similar to like the editing of a movie or editing of a, of a motion piece. Um, right. And so it's interesting because like sometimes you'll have big Hollywood editors used for like different projects and you'll be like, that movie feels like that one. It's like, yeah, this is the editing. And so I'm, I'm curious if, if I subconsciously like picked up on the fact that you know obviously when they pe when people when people mix things they do have styles that do kind of like leave fingerprints so to speak on, on what they do so i'm worried i'm wondering yeah. if my mind just was like hey this sounds this, i like this whatever this is um, <laughs> uh, mixing just, plays a huge role into it i mean absolutely it, it, it creates like it's like the little like subtle frequencies that that yeah. you don't notice or realize are the way the drum punches that could be get like a sonic identifier like how much if you heard like a Jamie XX beat, would you know it was him? You know, and yeah. that's like just the way he mixes his Ableton samples or whatever he uses. Like it's everyone's using a very similar sample set, but the way they use them, you're absolutely right. It creates a sonic identifier. Yeah. And that's um, and that kind of leads me to my next question, which is, um, you know, obviously we, we talked a little bit about who inspired you growing up and who inspires you now. Um, but how is that identity of these people changed? So obviously like I'm sure there are some bands or artists or composers that you've loved from the first time you've ever heard them. And I'm sure there's some people that you've gained an appreciation for. I guess the question is, is there someone that you used to not be a fan of their work, but now are a huge fan of? Oh um, yeah. I think um, just as I'm going, I'm just like appreciating um I don't know. It's it's like taste or or a lot sure. of things like that. You know, it just it you can't explain it why you like hated olives and now all of a sudden you love them. But uh, yeah, just a lot of um, a lot of contemporary composers. A lot of very like obs the more obscure stuff. I'd say I've been getting back into now. Um, so um, you know, getting to more um, you know finding a, a classical artist or or an early electronic artist. Um, like a, a friend introduced me to Carl Stone recently and his music's amazing. Um, and also getting like, um, so my, my latest fascination is like the idea of like spectral, um, spectral development. And that's, that's what my latest album was all about. Um, 
was taking the orchestra and and basically completely ripping it apart in its DNA and 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 throwing it into new patterns um, through technology. And it's it's incredibly gratifying because it's it's just something that like ha- you just don't hear and it hasn't been done and it's like creating this entirely new sound tapestry um so there's a lot of like electronic artists who do that kind of thing like um again um the same friend recommended me uh one of tricks point never is really cool i've been getting into him recently um and just like the way he uses like noise and and electronics to create um just the feeling is, is very futuristic i feel like um and so yeah, I, I, I like this idea to me of experimenting um, with new new forms and ways to put that into practice. Um, so like one of my, my dreams um, is to, for example, have like a string quartet that's all playing through their own spectral sort of engine independently and playing little almost like Steve Reich cells through the piece and creating uh their own like kind of world Uh, this is probably very confusing what i mean by spectral is um there's some tools uh, audio tools machines that can basically look at all of the the data in an audio file and all of the frequencies and completely jumble them up and twist them around into new forms and using some like really incredible ai or algorithmic tools they can like twist them into like more of a like a musical manner or you can control these by like having it respond in like a random manner or like maybe a, a cyclical manner like with like a cycle or an LFO so there's ways to like get the robots to be human again which I find really fascinating <laughs> so you're taking like organic matter and putting in the robots and then you're like here's how you be a little bit more human um which yeah the I I don't know. It's 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 incredibly exciting for me to to do that and experiment with that because it, to me it's just a it's a new sonic world that um, I'm really enjoying at the moment. So yeah, I'd say any any um, of these uh, yeah electronic artists who are really kind of pushing the boundary. Um, is that is the next product for you? You mentioned that you want to do a new album soon. Is that one of the ideas that you're? I obviously don't want to spill the beans, but uh, no, it's it's not. No, it's not entirely. No, but uh, I did have a good time doing that in the last one. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't want to put it out into the into the ether because yeah. then I yeah because then I have a uh, an obligation to stick to that. Sure, um, which yeah. which I uh, yeah can be uh, quite limiting. So, um, but yeah, I'm I'm really excited to work on on the next project, and I think it will be orchestral, and I'm really gonna sink into that. Um, surprise, but. <laughs> Yeah, um, I I think it's but it's it'd be a really fascinating idea though concept is is like this merging of like technology and and music yeah. and I think it does have a long way to go a really long way to go. Um, I've had some really scary conversations with um, um, some companies that that brought me in as just to like kind of use me almost as a guinea pig. Um, it was like a a panel that uh, Universal brought in to uh, to consult. Uh, with this company they were talking with to develop AI to create music. And by music, I'm not talking about like make an incredible like Billie Eilish hit or something. I'm talking like how to make like a corporate jingle. Um, and they played me like what the robots could do. And it, like, I mean, it was pretty good. So like it just, but it got you wondering, like, what are they doing? Are they putting together loops and saying, okay, robots, like pick a loop in any order you want. Here's some orders. Like it's really hard to tell because 
that could mean a lot of things. Like it's what it probably meant is they were like feeding the robots a set of parameters connected to uh, loops or music. Like here's a guitar riff for eight bars, and then like they chose yeah. how to mix it. I really doubt it was like from the DNA of the music, like picking up the sound of it and, and implementing it. There, there is no way. And so, you know, my background's in technology and, and I've had a lot of fun conversations around AI and um, it's just like a good example of yours. And, and this, it, you see this and people use like, oh, well, AI is going to replace writers and editors. And it's like, they're, they're not uh, any, anytime soon because at the basis, there's two ideologies going on. It's like, as you just mentioned, if you're having it choose loops, I mean, if, if you gave a five-year-old colored blocks that each represented loops and they were all very good loops and you had them rearrange them, there's a pretty solid chance they'd it'd be pretty good, right? Um, yeah. You know, that's part one. And then part two is that, you know, um, like people say with coding a lot, like, oh, I wait till AI can code this new platform. But like coding is thinking, right? Composing yeah. is, is thinking. Right. Uh, you know, creation is, is thinking and imagining. And, and until we get to that level, which we are still very far away from, I think that there's just like an intrinsically human element uh, in there yeah. that I think will always be maintained because it's just like, I mean, think like, like take Beethoven, for example, right? It's like, yeah, he wrote that a very long time ago. And mm -hmm. that's something that he did that was intrinsic to himself. And you can feel the, like, it feels like a living, breathing thing. And you can say that about most older composers that didn't even know what, a, like pre-computer, pre-electricity, right? Put pre-everything. Yeah. And so I just look at the future and I think that, you know, it'd be really fascinating to see once we do have that high level AI, um, what it could make. But but who knows, mm. right? It, it could be really cool, but I don't think it's going to be comparable to so, human music, right? There's there's an app that I discovered. Um, it's called Blob Opera by Google. Mm. Have you seen this? Yeah. Um, no. Okay, it's it's inc it's incredible. It's worth checking out. Um, so they recorded real opera singers, and uh, so they had to sample it first. So we're, again, we're still not talking about robots actually creating new timbres. Uh, that replicate the way humans make instruments because there's too much involved there's there's the reverb there's the like the everything the eq everything is so perfectly yeah. positioned yeah. to what we think is real and oftentimes you're fighting with that as a as a producer you're saying oh i i can't have the snare hit like that because it just it shouldn't you know and so robots don't know that at least they don't know but what it does though is, is incredible it's really quite advanced is it it um by listening to lots of opera it figures out how the ends of sentences and how harmonization should happen or the ends of phrases wow. rather. And it's, it's really striking. Uh, and it was just a, an AI uh, music project that was, you know, they did for free and it's a fun toy, but it's also terrifying because you see yeah. like this, like really um, kind of monumental concept put into like kind of a child's toy. Um, and I, I don't know. I feel like that's what the robot apocalypse is going to look like. It's like a bunch of Furbies, <laughs> um, you know, something again. And so bringing it back to that, like kind of scary meeting at, at universal, it's like the, the whole thing was disguised as like, Oh, um, we want to help composers compose quicker. So like, tell us like, you know, what you'd like to use, you know, like, like get, basically give an input to this robot to help us replace you, which I was like, wow, I guys does like, does anyone see what we're doing here? Like it's, it's incredibly, it was so blatant to me. Um, yeah. but then what can you do? You can't stop it. You can't yeah, sure. like, you can't stop the rise of technology. Otherwise you're like the guy riding the horse, like yelling at Ford. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't work, but 
Um, I don't know. I think um, the way AI, AI can work with art is, is still being discovered. But to me, I've I've discovered that you know getting getting computers to rip apart audio and and kind of using randomness give you new harmonies, new possibilities can be sure. like just kind of rolling the dice and juggling the brain into sure. getting an exciting direction, um, which is really fascinating. But yeah, I think, I think that technology is, is moving really fast and it's definitely like worth keeping an eye on. Um, and also like it, it pushes what the robots can't emulate is style, right? Like that's yeah. what entirely is what humans like what is human is deciding that like, I don't know, all white kitchens are no longer cool. Like, you know, like only we can decide <laughs> that. Yeah. Yeah. Tastemakers. And so like, you know, a robot would be like, I mean, if you let the robots like make radio hits, like they'd be like making Imagine Dragons, you know, demons like into infinity yeah. or something like that. Yeah, but then until like someone comes along and is like, yo, big choruses aren't cool anymore. And, you know, yeah. and just like that's what's kind of human. And that's kind of always reassuring is like taste and style is like what makes us us. Sure. I don't know. So I think off that it's like from what it sounds like what you're saying is that it, it will become a very interesting tool for anyone to use, especially if it allows propagation of new ideas. And I think that this goes back to kind of like one of my views of the meaning of life, which is to do things for the sake of doing them. And robots aren't really good at doing that, right? So like, I feel like the yeah. best the best musicians or artists or, or anything, like art, people make art for the sake of doing it. Like there's usually not a purpose. Um, and yeah. when there is a purpose, it's usually not that good, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you like, do you think Pollock had a purpose when he was throwing paint up on the, on the <laughs> right. canvas? Right. Right. Uh, but that's what the robots are great at though. They can throw yeah. that paint and that's really cool. And so it's like up to you as the artist to decide like which paint to throw. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, sure. they're like kind of like the arm and that, and that's really yeah. exciting to me. Um, because it just, it just feels really, uh, it feels fresh at the moment. It's like just really kind of rolling that dice. And like, I've, I've been collecting a lot of guitar pedals recently. Um, things that also like use those same algorithms, just jumble the brain. You know, they're called glitch, you know, Bunny Bear uses them a ton. Um, and yeah. he is like, to his credit, like uses them on tour, like in, in live shows, which is really like crazy. Um, but yeah, he's just like putting, putting things through that machine. And it's like, it's deciding at random what pitch to do, what, what rhythm, yep. how to gate it and chop it. And it's incredible. It just sounds so cool. But then when you pair that with his like guitar and his like deep voice, it's like, oh yes, <laughs> this is great. Uh, it doesn't feel synthetic at all. And it feels, it just feels like we're in this world now where we're like, I don't know. We're kind of like at the dawn of like the cyberpunk era in a way, you know, we're yeah. starting to like, you know, put like a, a robotic eyeball and, you know, larynx in there and, yeah. and, and kind of just, yeah, like kind of start to merge yeah. a little bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I think with Bon Iver is a great example. So Justin Vernon, obviously the lead of Bon Iver, um, he's someone that's, I, I've, I've loved Bon Iver from the beginning of, of time. And also like <laughs> I became aware of the word Holocene from his song Holocene on the Bon Iver album in 2011 um, absolutely and uh so it's really interesting like forema forever ago is one of my favorite albums of all time and then i think to make a good point it's like his album 22 million in 2016 like that was such a remar- like remarkable departure from what he'd been doing before but it was still like really fascinating interesting music and that's he was doing collabs with kanye and lots of other people and just making yep. like it was still beautiful it was you, you could still tell it was him but it was just like 
I think that you're right. The, the, those algorithms created those computer programs, those pedals, those everything allowed him to say like, let's let's figure out what the next iteration of this is that might be interesting. And then with II it released, you know, 2019, he came back to center and was like, this is the this is the core of what we want. You know, it's so it's so crazy. Like listening to someone's musical journey like that, and and seeing someone evolve and and be kind of a, a leader and, and a tastemaker in that way, it's really inspiring to me to think yeah. about like what was his mind going through in that time where he needed to like completely deny and shake where he was coming from i mean his music was already like can be shocking in ways like perth you know where those like double pedal drum kick yeah. drums and like you know it's so, like some elements like borrowed from like metal and gent and things like that is yeah. really cool but it was never like that like electronic um and just like that decision to merge that and oh my god, using the vocoder in that way is just like blew everyone's mind. And like yeah. just pushing that, so like that takes it all back to the idea of like artistic conviction of just like sticking with. And obviously, it, it's not a perfect example because he had some, I mean, some success from his earlier albums. Saying okay, we trust you, you do you. You know, we yeah. love your music, and so whatever it's gonna be. But I remember when it came. You know, um, uh, was it I come I or the one before that? Um, what was I the come, record before I come? I um, uh, I think I'm looking at it right now. It's 22 a million was that one. That's right, 22 a million. Yeah. That's exactly. And so like it felt like I don't know. I'm sure some people were like betrayed. You know, felt betrayed. Like oh, I wanted just another acoustic song or something. Yeah, <laughs> which yeah. he still gave, but it was like this incredible textures. And but it worked out just, too. And so I think that there are great examples of of bands that tried something different and it almost tanked their entire existence. Uh, my favorite example is like. When the first Mumford and Sons album came out in like 2009 or 10, I was in high oh school. I was like, I was like, I, I just love the pure, like, I, I thought like folk town, British, like acapella men yeah. playing banjos. Like it was lovely. <laughs> and then, um, but, uh, what's the next one that came out? Um, it was named, I know he's Babel. Babel is next. Yeah. And then I was like, this is good. I mean, they're heading in a direction that I'm not too stoked on. And then Wilder Mild came out and they dropped the banjo. And I was just like, I can no longer listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad uh, you mentioned this. I talk about this a lot as like a formative like moment and in, in yeah. modern like art and music. I I like I'm not here to criticize any any artist for sure, why they do it, sure. but it it's all subjective to, me, to, to keep in mind. Yeah. yeah, my my perspective was like I I'm not sure maybe the reason the reasoning was as pure as as for example for Bon Iver pursuing it with electronics. Like he it felt pure his intention and it felt like new and original. To me, Mumford and Sons, it more felt like they wanted to participate, which is okay, in an, a genre maybe that they started like love listening to or something. So it's like they said like no, or maybe they were starting to listen to their critics and being like, I'm sick of being called like the hoedown like group, you know, like sure. the, yeah. the the banjo group that sells out arenas. Like we want to like, I don't. They they probably wanted to change it and respond to that, and that can be really dangerous too. Is artists responding to blogs and and to and reading reviews and I mean, God, like I I can't even imagine, yeah. you know. But so, but then yeah, it comes with a consequence because it just was maybe for them personally, which an artist sure. should always do, but maybe it didn't feel as as pure um, or or yeah, of a direction that they were going to where. The, they were saying, you know, let's 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 explore in this in this way. But I think it's a little bit different, though. I I think playing in their kind of like that harmony and that sound, they're not like sound designers or explorers in that way. Do you know what I mean? So, totally. I, and but I know Justin Vernon's like always obsessed with sonic art and like the sounds that he's yeah. making. 
Um, and so if you go even back to for uh, for uh, for Amna forever ago, yep. Like the way he's using the Ebo is like really dirty and kind of arty and wild, and so yeah. like it's really scratchy. And he's just like he just had older tools at that time, you know. Yeah. Like that's how you make so- sound art. Like back then, like the Ebo yeah. is like the craziest thing. You're like, oh my god, see a rose. Like the guy's like bowing a, a yeah. <laughs> you know, young. I was, ba- I was about uh, to bring up Sigur just, just based yeah. on that name. Uh, um, yeah, they're they're bowing the guitar, and it's like that's incredible. And yeah. that was kind of like the vibe of like you know mid, like the early two thousand teens or yeah. whatever you call them. Yeah. Um, the of, album that none, of, neither you or I could pronounce how it's actually. You know, yeah, exactly. It's, it's um, not even Icelandic; it's Hopelandish, you know. So exactly, but the the sonic innovation there, like, is that's kind of the mode, and and then now we're getting these incredible. It's like so technology kind of enables it, and then the art like pushes through really quickly and. Yeah. Um, or at least it feels really quick as all of a sudden, like, it just feels like it's like overwhelming, but yeah, it's, it's often the reason it feels overwhelming and sudden is because usually these artists are probably listening to, uh, really obscure, uh, other like friends or other artists or colleagues that are like doing really wild shit that no yeah. one's caring about right now. Um, like I, I, to me, like this feels momentous, like, um, the, uh, one of the members of Sylvanesso. Um, he he had a side project uh, where he did an entire album with a, a friend of his, and it's all like kind of guitar recordings put through like what I call the robots, you know, it like yeah, sure. put through, through the machine that's humanized, and it's brilliant. And what's this it's called? amazing. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, I think sure. Made of Oak is uh, the artist. Yeah, Made of Oak is his artist name, and. Uh, the album, uh, see, that's not it. It was a collaboration. It had a new name, but anyways, it's it's brilliant. It's amazing. I'll, I'll find and, it, and uh, I always have show notes attached to these. This is a further matter to anyone listening. Yeah. That uh, every single thing that we've mentioned so far, and everything that we have men- will mention henceforth, is like linkable below, so people can just click and find quickly. Because I've learned that unless you that's do that, awesome. most people just like that sounds cool, but I'm not going to look for it. What, how do you spell it? You know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but to go totally. on the same trend, it's like we just talked about. Uh, to like example of someone that really kind of I wouldn't say betrayed their their ethos, but but definitely tries something new and it failed. But I like to think of like two two examples, very very different artists that kind of stuck with it the entire time and evolved as music went on. And and Sigur Ross is, is a great example, but I think the perennial example is Rush, right? Like I grew up listening to Rush more than most people mm. my age even know what Rush is, and it's like. Here's an example of a band that literally existed from like the late 60s to five years ago and like tried every single new thing that came along in music and still managed to maintain their ethos in an amazing way. And I, I, I can't come up with a better yeah. example of Rush. No, that's that's great. Um, okay, so kind of switching gears a little bit. Um, there's a couple questions I want to ask you that, that kind of go around stuff we've, we've been talking about, but I really want to get your head spinning in a good way. Yeah. Um, so is there a dream collab you have? Like right now, if I said you have carte blanche, uh, who do you want to work with? Uh, what's the project? What, what would it be? Oh my gosh. Um, I would love to work with, uh, Justin Vernon directly. Um, yeah. 
I mean, I say that <laughs> I haven't worked with I haven't worked with him indirectly either, but uh, I've been lucky to work with um, one of his bandmates, um, S. Carey, Sean Carey, um, who I met through uh, Ivan Howard, who I mentioned way back from the Yearn album, uh, yep. and yeah, that was just it was really special and just felt really like for me a direction that was really pure and 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 like exciting for me. And so, I mean, that would be a, an absolute dream collab. But there's, I mean, there's, there's so many artists. Like, I really, I really respect out there. And 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 usually, I a lot of them are just really quite quite obscure. But I, I like, I love how they're just doing their own thing. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, they're yeah. they're just kind of going for it. And and I love that. And I don't know if like uh, they need a collaboration in their lives to help them achieve that. Sure. Um, but I do like. I really love. Yeah, I just love that. And. I don't know. It's it's a different thing. Like for me, collaboration it it's a whole mix. It's like it's really incredibly intimate. It's really I I'm not good at like the um, the sort of Los Angeles like pop like um, hot like sure. speed dating kind of thing where it's like the Justin today, Bieber he, Madison beers of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Today here's who you're gonna cry with. Like it's just like n- what like either <laughs> yeah. one. How are these like people getting enough therapy to like expose themselves emotionally this much or like. <laughs> You know how is this like? It's just it's so quick, um, and this is not it's not for me personally, and it doesn't have to be for for everyone. But yeah, it's just it's this natural growth, and and some of the the most extraordinary artists that I've been lucky to work with, the relationship just happens very naturally, and it takes like I find between like one and two years to like properly like become a thing to like gestate to like kind of mature yeah. into a relationship where there's that mutual just kind of understanding and trust and also desire. Like, do we even want to go in the same direction? Because I mean, you're, you're sometimes in a situation where, you know, you're two people who think really passionately and intensely about what their direction is, but you're off in the wrong angle and you can't even, sometimes you can't even have a conversation about that. And there's just a conflict and it doesn't work. And this is like so common. Um, and then just sometimes it works, but I'd say majority of my collaborations also happen remotely where like, people can, I'll send them an idea and they'll listen to it and really spend some time with it, whether they not, or want to do it or not. So I don't know what, what that says and, and how it's different, but a lot of other people I know just get together because they like the idea of maybe writing with someone and then they yeah. start creating those sounds and that those chords is very rapid. Um, but I don't know, a lot of the music I write has been shaped by that kind of slower process of like, okay, yeah, I, I want to do this. And then, and they really sit with themselves and, you know, maybe go off and stare at the woods for a while and write their lyrics. And I kind of like that, that they're able to spend their own time writing something very personal, uh, and beautiful to them and then kind of creating versus like this, like, I don't know, at least, uh, I am. And I know a lot of people I, I write with are like incredibly like, you know, can be very shy people in some ways. Um, you know, or, or can be like guarded. And it's like, you know, you know, it's hard, it's hard to expose those things to other people. Um, especially if you don't know if the direction is the same. Um, yes, exactly. Or even if the language that you're talking about is the same. I mean, the language that I use is so different. Like I'm, I'm like throwing in like music, Italian and German in there in the conversation, like, Oh, and then this part needs to like, you know, a child Rondo. And they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Because it's just like a different world. It's like, I don't know. Um, but I, that's why I'm fascinated with like learning as much as I can about like pop music and how it's made and like get into 
I try to be as fluent as possible. And, and what keeps me fluent, I feel like, is the work I continuously do with output, where I still can, uh, yeah. continue to make a lot of sounds for them because I feel like it's, in a way, keeping me up on on kind of modern trends um, from a sound design standpoint, from just like the art of creating a, just like an incredible like synth art or a snare drum or something. And then, and then that allows me to pull from that and take for what I want for my own music. But more and more, I'm just kind of diving into this rabbit hole of organic or acoustic recordings. To me, that feels more fresh and original than yep. mixing them at the moment. So, one more tangential question to that, uh, and then I have a I have a, a collab request after that. But um, okay, so <laughs> same question, but the only modifier is that only groups or composers or artists that are deceased or no longer performing. Sorry, say that again. So yeah, same same collab question. Uh, like, who would you collab okay. with? You collab with anyone, carte blanche, but they are are either no longer performing or they're dead. Okay, okay. Um, wow, uh, that's amazing. You know, I would love to collaborate with Gustav Mahler when he's like in his string quartet phase. Amazing. I think that would have been wild. Uh, because have you heard his only string quartet? before I, I, I believe i have it's not ringing a bell in my head but I'll, it's I'll it's it again it's used in shutter island which is is really cool um it's unfinished which is awesome <laughs> like it just like stops and trails off which like is an art piece in and of itself like this yes. idea of this fragmented like work um and i know it happens a lot to composers at the end of their lives because they just they just die before they can finish it but it was this like first and only string quartet th that I'm aware of, and it's 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 awesome. It like starts with this like really kind of modern piano um, like riff. It just continues on, and like it it feels very modern class. It feels like something Olaf Arnold's uh, or Max Richter would would do, and it just would like it would be great to like work with someone like you know with that much like potential kinetic energy inside of them yeah. at that phase in their lives where they're like trying things out and just like do a quick collab. <laughs> yeah. And just, and just to kind of locate people, um, do you know the approximate year that he wrote that piece? Oh, I don't, uh, I'm guessing it was still in the 1800s. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I wasn't sure if it was pre or post 1900. So, uh, I think it's probably, yeah, it, very much like when he was like in school or something. Um, yeah. yeah like way before his first symphony. Um, Amazing. But yeah, yeah. crazy. <laughs> um, so kind of that, have, have you heard of the artist named Kishibashi? I have, yeah. Yeah, so he, he is another one of my absolute favorites. And I, and I, I was listening to your stuff again last night because I mean, it, it's, it's in constantly my playlist and it comes up. And then I went, got on this Kishibashi kick and I was also researching for the show and I was just thinking, I was like, there are some pieces, especially the work he did for the fourth phase, which was uh, Jimmy yeah. Chin and Travis Rice's snowboard film, I think like right. that work of his and your work together would just be, uh, it might be incredible. But that's just my my. No, dream, that would so. be really cool. I I love his music. Uh, I discovered it probably like in 2014, and I heard like that the big song that he did. Um, yeah. And it was just like awesome, like the free, like vibrant energy. Like it just it's one of those things where like you hear someone, you're like how did this human being come to this point? Because like, yes. you know, yeah. the string playing every, like the loops are crazy. Like the vocals are awesome. Like everything is just like rocks. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's, it's captivating to hear something like that. We just don't even know how, like where they can come from. And then like seeing, you know, diving into his, like uh, the tiny desk concert he did was rad. Yes. And yeah. yeah where he's looping yeah. everything himself. And if, yes, I think yeah, yeah. he's one of the artists where if, if people, if people hear him like a recording, 
they, yeah. they like how many string players does he have? And you're like, no, he's just looping everything himself. Like he's he's yeah. a one man show. Uh, Absolutely beautiful about that. Um, it is, and it's like it's it's kind of like scary and real too. You know, it's like all happening. Like, is is yeah. it going to go off? Are the robots going to let him down? <laughs> yeah, I mean, who knows? But I, I, I'm sure like he's so comfortable with this mode of performing, like I'm sure Justin Vernon is, where yeah. if something weird happens, like they just they just go with it. You know, they they like let's create something new. You know, totally. Um, That's so right. Like there, there are a bunch of good stories of that. Like I was at um, one of the last Rush concerts they ever did. This was in Madison Square Garden. Um, Alex Lifeson's guitar stopped working after the, uh, the beginning of the encore. Uh-huh. And so they're playing the strong, uh, the Livia Strangiato off of uh, Hemispheres, which is a very intense guitar soliloquy intro, so to speak. Um, and so they made a new song called Still No Guitar for like 10 minutes and kept playing it while they were waiting mm. for Alex Lifeson's guitar to go. And it was just like, it's, it's kind of a dumb example, but it's one that I finally remember in my head. I was just like, they're just going with it, right? They're just, they're just having yeah. fun. Like they're so comfortable. Exactly. They, they, like, but if you play together for 50 years, you know exactly what everyone else is doing in the group. Like you, you can, you can know without a matter of a doubt. And I think that's what you said about building relationships in music. Like the more yeah. you work with someone, the more you can be like, I have a pretty good idea they're going to do this. So if I give them this kind of runway and, and see where they go, it's like, I think Christopher Nolan and Hans Zimmer is a great example. Like they've worked together on almost all the films that he's done. And I remember watching this interview when they were starting the process for Interstellar. He refused to tell Hans like what the kind of style of the film was. And you just said it's it's, yes. it's a story about a, a father and his son. Yes, I find that yeah. really interesting. Like giving someone a selective window into what they're about to do. That's yeah. that's really um, yeah. That's that's pretty um, pretty audacious, isn't it? Because it's like it is. Yeah. He he could have totally gotten it wrong, and then he has the wrong <laughs> idea in his head for the rest of the yeah. film. And like, I think that's really extraordinary. Um, I love hearing things like that. I I don't know if I would ever like hamper one of my collaborators in a similar yeah. way, and just sure. give them a slot. I although I think some of that like like slight like psychological espionage happens sometimes. You're like. You know, you don't want them to feel some too strongly of a certain way. I think yeah. maybe Christopher Nolan's assumption was like, if I tell him like space and like galaxies and like wormholes, he's gonna write something too big in Gladiator, and yeah. I want this to feel intimate without having to tell him that it's intimate. So that's yeah. actually pretty brilliant. That's like, yeah, hats off to you guys. No, that's, and, that's, and, and their so use awesome. of the of the church organ in that that whole album is just phenomenal and also so i think oh yeah um have you seen tenet yet oh of course yeah Um, which i i hated by the way the first time i saw it like i thought it was a miserable viewing experience for anyone for the first time and i probably watched it five times since then and like loved it each time yeah so luckily i just happened to find myself in i was a random trip out in the mountains like solo quarantine trip um and it was the same day that tenet came out like midsummer and so I yep. kind of like peeked at this movie theater like an hour away and like, I think it was Paradise, Arizona. And yep. there was there was a 500 person theater with five people in it. And I was like, okay, uh, I need I just need to see this in IMAX. Like I just need to see it yes. big the first time I watch yeah. it. I, I'm going to risk it, whatever. Um, and I saw it and I, I watched it. I was like, I am so glad I didn't watch this on my TV in my living room the first time. I saw it. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's a whole nother experience, isn't it? Like we're just absorbing yeah. a lot of these things like on our phones. Like, yeah, I'm, I've seen so many like big budget like Marvel movies now, like over the quarantine just on my phone because it's convenient. Yeah. 
Um, and I'm like, like, you know, it's so like sacrilegious because I'm like, you know, this like I, <laughs> I'm like this big sound scope. But I think there's something to be said about like the portability of storytelling and yeah. and, you know, it, but then I, I get it. Like the format has to be there. Which, and I understand the concern for um, for them to keep. uh there's obviously a big uproar about whether Dune should be on HBO Max, right? Yeah, or whether it should that. be in the theaters. Yeah. Um, I mean, I agree. Like, I feel like people should see it in the theaters, but I don't know if forcing them to is necessarily good. I think people who, like you and I, Choice who, is always better. Yeah. Yeah. Who, like, love these platforms. Like, I think we will want to see them in the theaters or on a big sound system at some point. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then, so what did you think about the soundtrack? Cause he, he's like, this is the first time he's worked with Ludwig Gustafsson. Yeah. I believe he's like normally always Hans Zimmer or Hans, yeah. excuse me. Um, yeah. I thought it was a good example of like everything you, we, we talked about, which is like a good combination of electronic and classical. There were some pieces that kind of lost me, but there were some, there were some moments I think of uh, from Mumbai to Amalfi is like one of the songs that sticks out to me. And then the algorithm where they're just like, you're not really sure what's going on and everything kind of coalesces at once. And it's like beautiful, intense. I don't know how to describe it, but yeah, I think, I think it was, it was really well done. Um, I, yeah, again, this is purely sub- subjective. Um, and um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, th- I think um, that soundtrack was really marked by, an incredible moment in time, which is a global pandemic. And so from what I understand, his was one of the first big budget film scores to be forced to be recorded by solo players. So he had the trailer recorded um, by orchestra. Yeah, he had had the trailer recorded by orchestra. And then uh, I think they were like maybe of a session in or something. And the whole lockdown started happening like during their sessions. So um, amazing. So what happened, um, just reiterating the story, uh, hopefully correctly, is then uh, following that point, uh, because he's kind of like a like young, audacious guy, uh, Ludwig jumped in and um, just trying to start making solo recordings work because I think I was just kind of in shock and like holding patterns. Um, and he was able to get the mix sounding really good, good enough where uh, an executive from um, the, the film who was attached to the film uh, started taking around the soundtrack to all of the like A-list film composers, being like, "Look, it's possible! Like, look what look what Ludwig's doing, which is cool." Um, so then um, I I witnessed. My wife is a harpist for for film and TV, and she um, was kind of in that early wave. Uh, uh, for example, she recorded on the uh, SpongeBob soundtrack for Hans Zimmer. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, yeah, and it was all that they're like figuring out how to do it all by solo players and. It's it's really rough. I mean, so you you have the idea of like a central space, and this is something that my my newer album is about is like creating a sense of communal space. Um, and it's really beautiful when you get that right in a in a room. And when you break that up to like one guy is in his bathroom and someone else is in a really dead room because they like yeah. record professionally, it's it just it sounds really weird. And I I don't think. I don't think Ludwig ever got the size and scope that he deserved on that soundtrack. I think that's like the only thing I can say is like, you know, I would have loved to hear what the like big orchestral version would have sure. been of those because I think he, would have been, yeah. yeah, because he made it work like for sure. And it was really cool. Um, and I like, appreciate all of the elements, but yeah, it's just really hard to get that to be like the real thing. And I think he got, did an incredibly damn fine job Absolutely. of like getting it like close. Um, but yeah, there's something to be said just about like an orchestra in a room and they sound amazing. And 
you know, like goes back to like Hans, you know, doing these things. Like I've, I feel very fortunate. I have been able to record uh, in Air Studios a couple of times. And when you put together this amount of like high caliber musicians with these like Stradivarius instruments, they're all playing Strads. It's insane. Yeah. Um, you know, that they're on loan from, you know, a university or a, like a museum or something. Uh, and they're sitting there playing like the softest dynamic possible. It's just like, it's so haunting and bewitching. It's like the most incredible sound and feeling in the world. And we put that to picture. It's just, it's incredible. Like it, nothing, nothing compares to it. And it's like the size of the hall and like the mics being turned up and it's, they're all telefunkins. And it's just, it's a magical experience. Like the way, you know, some of these composers are like playing with the idea of, which it goes back to Brian Eno of the studio is the, the studio is a composition tool, you know, like the studio yeah. is actually the way you record says more about what you're actually recording. And that's something like, yeah, I think might, might've been really hard for former composers to grasp, like might've even derailed a few, like, okay, sure. how do we integrate with technology? Cause like there's classical music didn't stop developing. It didn't stop like, no. Like there's a lot of crazy contemporary classical music out there and some of it's amazing and some of it's kind of like kind of gnarly. So like it just, but it kept going. It didn't stop just because like we created the offshoots of like, you know, the Beatles and then the string quartet, um, you know, and like it, it didn't just like branch off and stop. Like it kept going um, because like people made a decision personally, whether I want to use the studio as a scoring tool or not. Um, yeah. And I think it creates entirely different sounds uh, and sound worlds. And there's a lot of compo like film composers who have totally different styles. There's there are composers who refuse to do sound design or any of those, and they just hire people who do, and they they make it that way, or they just they keep yeah. doing the scoring and just the way you know a small string section sounds over a picture is is beautiful and and still relevant to this day. So they don't really yeah. have to modernize. Or there's like Trent Reznor. And Atticus Ross, who were like, "Oh my God, Personal these things are crazy!" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. absolutely. The, so the Social Network soundtrack, like, if I, I have a ranking of like some of my favorite soundtracks of all time, Social Network's on there, Oblivion's on there, Interstellar's on there, Inception's on there. One hundred percent. Do you have any? Do you have any favorites? Like, if you were to, if you were to pick a couple, not not like a number one or top five, just like throw a few out there. Oh man, them. I mean, you you hit them on the spot. I mean, Social Network is is incredible. Um, special. It's special. Yeah. It's it's really special. Um, there, but there's a lot of like um, I a lot of films where I just enjoy the score particularly a lot. Um, like uh, okay, so yeah, there's there's Interstellar, um, cinematic orchestra. Yep. You know, Arrival of the Birds. I don't know if you've heard that piece. It's really incredible mm -hmm. and beautiful. Yeah. Uh, there's a piece I discovered recently um, by an artist called Sebastian called Crescendo um, yeah. from um, from his uh, his film um, with... Uh, oh, I forget the director's name. He's a very famous uh, director. Um, but it's called Notre Jour Viendra. Oh, I actually, actually heard that. Now, I'll link it below. Um, but the, I want to go yeah, backtrack. Um, Arrival of the Birds or whatever, the, the, the Disney documentary on flamingos, that album demo cinematic orchestra is one of the most underrated pieces of cinematic. Oh, art. absolutely. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And so I, I knew exactly when you said that, cause I, I, I forgot about that one. It came into my head. Um, and then <clears throat> I, I just, I, I don't know when people, I, I have an ex-girlfriend who used to call it Epic music because like, she's like 40% of the time, or if I'm working, it's almost hundred percent of the time listening to like a soundtrack or classical of some sort. 
Um, yeah. Like I'm the crazy person to play like Beethoven one through nine and like cram out four <laughs> hours of work. Um, yeah. And I'll and I'll be tapping my foot along the entire time because I used to, I used to be the guy in the back playing timpani, you know. So. Um, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> and and uh, another one uh, I'm gonna butcher his name, uh, Italian composer Ludovico Agnoli. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. His album Seven Days Walking, which came out during the pandemic, which is like seven days recording the same songs and different variations. It's like seven hours mm. long, but. Oh, for wow. some reason, I haven't heard I, it. You highly recommend it. I'll link it below. Okay. Um, and I listen to it straight through and I just get so much work done. Cause it's like seven hours. So you like, but you know, it's going on and it's like in the That's back cool. of your head. I don't know about you. If you think this, if you're doing non-musical work, like I always have to have music on because it keeps the yeah. back of my head busy. Um, mm. and especially a, a soundtrack. Like I love, I love matching and syncing in my head because like when Hans Zimmer writes for inception, there's like, there's a clear crescendo in the entire <laughs> film and there's a story he's telling. And I don't know, you, yeah. you don't get that from, from most music. See for me when I'm, it's fine. I, I'm sort of the opposite. When I, when I work, I need to be playing something that is like talking to me sure. to keep me company okay. in a way. It's like almost like the, like the social aspect or like little things that get my brain going because I'm not often working with the lyrics directly, I can have that going on. So it can be like, you know, it can be like a guy talking about his trip through Montana or something. I, I usually try to like focus on like sensory yeah. things. I uh, so like, I love these like videos. It's just like a guy filming like a, like a wheat field in Nebraska or something. And I'll just like put yeah. that on, on loop. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> That's incredible. But like, yeah, it's just like sensory things that like just make me like feel or like just kind of calm down. But also yeah. like, I love watching films um and just like it's not for the music at all it's just like yeah yeah just getting the kind of the conversation going particularly during the pandemic when it's like very lonely in my studio and so that's actually a good point because every single highly creative person i know um will put on movies and sometimes watch the same movie over and over again day after day what are some of those movies for you Okay. Uh, great question. Let's, let's look here. Um, yeah. I think it's, it's very unpredictable. I'm, I'm sorry. It's, it's interstellar. No, absolutely. Um, actually Looper is a phenomenal movie. Looper did you see is, Looper? Yeah. I did. Yeah. yeah. Looper is incredible. Casino Royale um, is like one of my favorites to rewatch. Yes, um, absolutely. Um, a film I really like recently, uh, came out is called Prospect. Um, I haven't seen that. and it's, it's, uh, it's, it was, uh, has Pedro Pascal in it. Oh, yeah. So it's going to be, um, and it's, <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. It's, it's done by like these guys who are, I think like quite, they're really young. Um, and they just like pitched this project. I don't know if it was like one of those GoFundMe campaigns, but they got it funded and yeah. it's this really cool sci-fi film. That's like really well done. And like, it's, it's shot with a kind of like a, a cinematic grain that feels very like real and kind of dirty, Interesting. Uh, which I appreciated. And just like the coloring is so beautiful. Um, and all the fi- uh, sci-fi concepts they dove into feel really like deep and well developed, you know, they're like, yeah. they're kind of like on this planet prospecting for, um, you know, this like this material that they get only out of this creature. And it's like, it feels desperate and gritty and like the wild yes. west, but it's in space and it's awesome. I highly recommend that one. Um, yeah, I just I want think, to throw you know, in two more ones quickly, if you don't mind. Yeah, please. Um, going back to soundtracks, because um, I was just like looking at my most recently played, uh, two albums that are very underrated that I think deserve more credit, just because one of them's weird, one of them's classic, is the James Horner soundtrack to A Beautiful Mind, which came out in 2004. Um, yeah. The way that that just opens and his use of vocals with that entire piece and, and like telling the story of this person is literally insane, but also a, a genius is, is a beautiful yeah. anecdote. And then... The Steve Jobs film with Ashton Kutcher has like a surprisingly mm-hmm. well put together combination of just weird shit. I don't know. I love it. Um, but yeah. sorry, what were you saying? Yeah, yeah. 
No, speaking of weird shit, um, the uh, the Mandy soundtrack is really incredible. Yeah. Uh, did you see that? <laughs> yeah, wild film. I mean, I thought it was crazy and and awesome. Um, and Nick Cage did a great job in that. And just yeah, Johan Johansson is such a beautiful score. Uh, and yeah. wild, and it's crazy. Um, yeah, I like. I'm really attracted to the. The, yeah, the, the kind of like the really weird, vibrant scores. Sicario is another great one by Hansen. Yeah. Um, the way he st- like he really started the way people were manipulating the orchestra in a heavy kind of dark way like sure. that. Uh, you started hearing a lot of like things start to take after that, and that like came as a result of him like doing his sessions without knowing what he's doing and like chopping it up and like really like he put in the grunt work and like it makes you think like. I don't know. A lot of processes, um, they yeah. they can't be rushed, you know, but they need structure and it's really hard. So sometimes that innovation comes from assimilation. You're like assembling things that you didn't ex- unexpected like connections, yeah. which is cool. And then there's like the pure creation part, which like everyone is just like, like, like steals from it. Like, like completely because it's, and it's, it's just how it is because like, they're like kind of telling the the world of, of art and culture like this is this is possible this is how it is and and everyone's like oh that's that feels exciting and new johnny greenwood did that um um have you seen um we are never really here i think is the name of it uh, that's familiar um that soundtrack was really amazing um that was recorded but um you were never really here i think um it will be added below so yeah, um, that one's fantastic, um, and there's a there's a couple of songs in there called Tree Synthesizers and um, Tree Strings. They're just phenomenal. He like plays with the random kind of like I said, like the robots like randomly playing these little blurbs of synths, and what they are is they're asymmetric arpeggios. So like at different rates, they're kind of yep. going in and, and doing their thing. It's so stunning. Um, that's really cool. Um, yeah, and I think just like things like that move the needle uh, yeah. forward and really push <laughs> uh, push music forward. Um, yeah, God. Uh, oh, um, that TV show, uh, Devs. That's another great, great oh, one. I, I've been keeping to watch that. Um, <laughs> Amazing soundtrack on that. I'm just looking through my my own library of like movies I keep rewatching, and I'm I'm thinking that like every single one of them has a very solid soundtrack. Um, Birdman, which I, I do love the soundtrack for that. It was great, um, yeah. Uh, the Departed, I watch way too often. I think that's because I'm from Boston. Um, yeah. And then a lot of the Red Bull films, like the Art of Flight, the Fourth Phase, they always have a good mm. mix of like just wild, fun stuff and, and weird. And then yeah. I think that the most classic is like Lord of the Rings. Like every time I hear that final yeah. piece, Lord of the Rings, I cry. <laughs> You know, <laughs> I think I I do have to step in and say I think a lot of the reason you love those the soundtracks of those films is because of Kurt Morgan like single handedly, sure. yeah. Uh, and Kurt Morgan's it, incredible yeah, because yeah. his just his his taste for for sound and and music is like is always he's always looking for the weird but good and he it's is, it's yeah. it's cool. Um, so I think that's kind of he's always putting that together and, and I'm, I've yeah. always been really lucky to, to work with him on any, I, anything. I was going to say so. it's, 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 he, he is like, I have this list of like people I would, I would, I would stop and do anything to get on my podcast. Um, <laughs> Kurt's been someone I've been harassing for a while. Um, okay. <laughs> and so, and so eventually, I mean, I, now with, with you and then Chris Burkhardt coming on, um, they, you know, he'll have no choice but to submit. Yeah. Uh, and then, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, to kind of some like finish up this topic about movies and soundtracks, um, kind of re-asking the same question, which is, 
uh, obviously no shade, just, just like something like a dream as a kid. Um, if there's a movie you could redo the soundtrack for, what would it be? Oh man. Um, something I saw as a kid. Or no, 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 no. I'm saying, I'm I'm saying like, uh, any, any movie, just like any, uh, any film I could redo the soundtrack for. Sure. Yeah. Oh man. That's, that's a great question. Um, I'd, I'd love to do something like really like intentionally like just long winded, like, um, and like a film where it's entirely like in one place, like, uh, waiting for Godot is like, it's a great film. Yeah. And like, it's like just kind of silent the whole time. <laughs> and like, I would love to do something that's just like, like a very, like, I don't know, active, like Steve Reich type, like soundtrack on something like that. And you know, just like throws it for like a totally different perspective. Yeah. Um, like changing the perspective on something, uh, would be really cool. Um, yeah, the the lighthouse film recently is is a bit like that too, um, you know, just like flipping the perspective on something would be really cool. Um, yeah. But in terms of these like grandiose films, I think they're just they're done so well. Like it, it'd be more like something more intimate, flipping, and uh, and putting something almost like an ironic touch on would be rad. I love that, um, and it's also hard cool. because it's like. I think some t- rarely do you see a, a really well done film where the music is so out of place because usually like the music is usually making the film or helping tell the story as well. So it's kind of hard to be like, exactly. You know, I don't want, I would never <laughs> want to remove that from like in a thousand years. Um, no, I, yeah, I would love to score something that is like almost like a silent, completely silent film uh, and ruin it. Cause obviously it's the director's choice to like make a silent, but that's always so boring, isn't it? <laughs> it is. And, but I, I think as, as times change, people are, people are trying and listening to new things, right? And people are trying and, and getting experienced to new ideas. And like, I don't know, for me, every time I saw a movie, like the first thing I wanted was the music, right? Mm. Or, the, or, or like the, I would order from Musician's Friend, like the 800 page scorebook to see, even though like at the time I <laughs> couldn't read most of the music in there, I still thought it was cool. Like I just like, oh, that's this, so this cool. This is what they use, I, you know. I do have to shout out one more film, though. I thought which sure. I thought it was uh, incredible was the last Black Man in San Francisco, um, which was scored by uh, Emil Mosserini, and it's it's amazing. Like you can tell they're like they're going for that Michael Nyman vibe, but it's also like it feels so quintessentially American in in San Francisco, like attached to a specific place. That I've I really you really hear that um, now. I feel yeah. like it just music enters this like kind of like big central vat of like, um, y- you know, just like the kind of the nexium of what everyone wants to sound like. And we're all trying to, yeah. you know, improve, but like he like, like really dug in deep and made it sound so connected to that place. And it's really special. Yeah. I, I actually haven't seen that. Um, or I'm not too familiar with it. So I will, I, I mean, I have a, I have a constant list of rotating movies and some of them are movies that like I should have seen years ago, but never did. And some of them are ones that like no one's ever heard of, but will, might change your life. You That's know? great. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, kind of like, I'm, I'm happy to talk about movies for hours. I think you are too. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so I'm going to switch gears a little bit into some more random questions and eventually it's going to devolve until we're, 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 at, we're at our terminus. But, uh, the first, the first question still music related is, uh, is there a song or album that someone would be surprised to find in your library right now? Like if they walked into your <coughs> library and they'd be like, why, why, why does Cyrus have this song? You know? Oh, that's a great idea. Um, I don't know. Let's, let's go look, let's go looking. <laughs> <laughs> or I guess like, I, I guess the second version of that is there like a most played song recently that you've just been like, 
I don't know. When I find a song I like, I'll, I'll put it on repeat. Uh, like I literally just listen to it on repeat like 60 to 100 times because I don't know, I'm weird. Um, but yeah. uh, it was funny because like I I was traveling this past weekend and the night before I had this like really rough day. Like, you know, those days like you're in your head, your ego's attacking you, you're jealous, like everything terrible. And I was on shuffle and, and your song Lux came on. I think I listened to it like 86 <clears throat> times in a row. And that like, by the end of that, I was just like, cool, I'm good. Let's, let's, let's continue. Oh, on. you know, that was a, I, yeah, I have a great example. Um, I, I probably listened to Travis Scott's, uh, album Astro world more than anything. Interesting. Um, in like 2019 yeah it's just like the way everyone was playing with sound in that was so yeah. awesome and like like the overall like fuck you to structure i loved you know what i mean yeah. it was just yeah, like totally. like like the the main single like the hit um is like doesn't obey anything and never goes back and it's like i found that so liberating and i'm glad everyone else does or like yeah. it's hard to tell like whether things are like cause or effect you know maybe just like the sheer amount of like um artistic clout and then the industry pumped it you know and i like sure. i firmly believe like the like the world could literally put anything out in front of you enough times where you grow to like it i yes. think that does exist to a, a large degree um but it's really brilliant it's like it's so like sicko mode is awesome like yes and, and you know, kurt actually <laughs> kurt morgan today. introduced yeah. me to that song and and I was just like, he showed me the music video. And I was like, this is like some like crazy high art shit. This is awesome. Yeah. And yeah. like just the way it goes in and out of structure, like I, it's very like classical in a way. Like that's the way composers um, used to think after like they got out of like the, like the really annoying like Sonata form thing where they had to, like you need a little bit of structure, but yeah. uh, like people started like the Stravinsky world where you're like really like mm -hmm. saying like, I'm not going to come back to anything like well, this is all new. Like that's yeah. cool. And I think like uh pop artists are like being encouraged to go in those worlds. And I just actually read a great New York times article about like how the internet's like changing the pop song and like choruses aren't big yeah. anymore and structures aren't uh, repetitive. And like, that's such an essential read to like anyone. And I'm sure like if you go yeah. into like really big songwriters, like rooms, they're going to be like, yeah, of course we've known this for five years, but um, it's really apparent with like Billie Eilish now um, just because like uh, artists that weren't previously empowered are now being empowered yes. through like the changing. It's a beautiful, of beautiful time. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's <laughs> like, and, and so I think examples of that it's, it's, I think you were an example back in with, with urine where it's like Lux is, I'll just keep using this as an example, but it's just like, there is no repetition whatsoever. It is just one storyline and it ends and you're just like, you're so happy. It just ends there. It's like, it would, it would be great to hear it again, but you can just listen to the song again. Like you don't have to worry about it. Being... I've, I've, I've actually heard that a lot. Um, and it, like, it always gets me thinking whenever I read that, uh, like comments like that, because yeah, it, it is interesting. It could have went back, but like it also could have really sucked if it did. Like it, it yeah. really could have ruined it. Like it might have yeah. like cheapened it. But like the fact it just it just keeps going and builds and, and only happens once. I don't know. Is kind of like is 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 interesting to me. Special. Um. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I just kind of want to continue to play with with that element of of the please, weird and like please my please do. <laughs> thanks my my latest the, the single i put out wildlight like i tried to explore that with the orchestra and do things like for my my parameters for that was i'm going to do something entirely with the orchestra no sense nothing else added uh and everyone is going to be scored out but it's like scored out in like a very like 
like cells, like here's directions. And everyone yeah. has to be playing harmonics the whole time. And if you don't know what harmonics are, it's when you like kind of like touch the string mm-hmm. and like you play a note, but you also like play it. You t- also touch it with another finger midway through. And so it like jumps up an octave, but it makes this light glassy sound which is really cool. Um, so the whole rule, like they had to play harmonics the whole time um, or as close as possible. And that like was really yeah. exciting for me. So like now that lot and natural harmonics, so like now that locks you to like only a few chords and like a few like shimmering. So like now whatever string the players are playing on and like the, the divisi that's going on. And by the way, divisi is like an Italian term for like, like basically it tells the players to like all play their own little part within the section. So even though there's 30 players, they're all playing their own part. And so I've got these like fat stacks of harmonics and they're all kind of playing and like they're chugging that. along. But to you, to the listener, a piece like that, like feels like, I don't know, it almost feels like a minimal like Daft Punk or MD3 jam of like a building yeah. electronics. But because it's like eighth notes the whole time, just cha 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 um, which I'm always fascinated by. I've got like way too many string eighth notes going on in all my pieces. <laughs> just because like I love this idea of like phasing in and out, like a constant yeah. rhythm, but like the chords like slowly shifting out of time with each other. Or like in the song Finder, I did. Uh, the strings are actually slowly phasing in and out of their length. So they're going, and like they come in, in and out from like a, a long note to like a short note. And that like creates this like world where you feel like you're like kind of yeah. like anti-gravity floating, um, which I love to explore. But yeah, I, I, I really liked playing with that. And like, you know, you get, you try to send pieces out to friends and like people comment and like, Hey, there's no bass in this song or whatever. Yeah. But like, you know, like it just, you you kind of, I don't know, maybe just getting a little bit um, older and like just kind of sticking with like some gut instincts you have and or just saying like, screw it, it doesn't matter. Like, it's, that's another cool thing about like, um, I don't know, it's, it's like being an, an indie artist to some degree, like the music you make, it's not like, it's not being like instantly like taken up by like, people magazine and like they're like writing a review about it that's like kind of half baked you know what i mean like yeah totally the people that the people that are <laughs> the listening worst. are like people like that care about your music already just because the way the algorithms yeah. work or someone new so like the worst that could happen is you just continue to like be undiscovered in that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but like artistically it's like and then there's the whole thing like um I mean, there's a whole like stereotype in, in the classical world, which obviously doesn't exist in the pop world, but like, you know, composers appreciate it after they've died, you know, and I feel like yeah, yeah. I know, some of that was true with Johan Johansson. Like, I don't know, he's such an incredible composer and like all of his previous albums were amazing, you know, and like, I don't know, it just, yeah, people should really dig deep into some of these artists and like kind of dig in couldn't, into their... Couldn't say anything more, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, I don't know. I, I think so... A good example of another Astroworld for me was, you know, I grew up in, obviously, the, you know, I was born in 94, so grew up in, like, the early 2000s, so, like, hip-hop and rap were huge. I was a big Eminem fan growing up. Never a big Kanye yeah. West fan until The Life of Pablo came out, and I actually heard that album a full year after it was released, and it was that example of, like, Astroworld where it's like, this shouldn't work, but it does, and I can't stop listening to it over and over and over and over again. And it was a good example yeah. where like a lot of people f- praised him for doing something different. And then he started going off the rails with like, yay and other stuff. So I'm looking forward yeah. to his divorce album. It should be pretty good, but uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, Kanye is like Kanye is his own robot algorithm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He's like, 
he's automatically jumbling up everything in his head, you know, unfortunately to his detriment sometimes. Um, yeah. But like he's constantly making those weird connections that is like required for creativity. Sure. And that's the hardest part is like, ah, God, it's like being trying to be a good human being and like doing your like like admin through life and then like having to switch the like the yeah. like flip the switch and like just throw out everything and change that is like you see why it's like impressive. artists like yeah well i think the best artists like build a barrier between themselves and that world as much as possible and i think the further along you get you can kind of create like people or systems or using the resources you created from earlier successes to like guard yourself a little bit i think um because they're like totally different mindsets like like the world that we operate in that's expected of us is not the same world that like allows us to be the most creative but then like it's also a catch-22 because like we're most successful when we're most creative so yes it's really um yeah you have to be really protective of that and like you have to understand too why like when you're trying to like reach out to an artist to collab or even just reach out to like say hey like they're just protecting that for whatever yeah. that is, you know, yep. that might mean they're just like protecting like the child inside of them and like whatever that is, uh, they could be literally like you yeah. have the biggest collab ever or like, you know, you want them to be on your podcast or whatever. And they're just like playing video games, but that's like freeing their mind up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's that's really fascinating um, to me. And I'm just getting trying to get better at it uh, every time I work on a project. As you should, and I think kind of on that same thread we were talking about, like things that shouldn't work but do, um, I, I try to give all music a chance, or at least one one chance. I'll try everything once. Um, and a recent album that popped across my my feed that I, I gave a listen to, and, and most of it I'm not a fan of, but there are a couple songs that I think are genuinely incredible. Uh, and I sent to a couple of friends, and I'm, I'm hiding the artist until the end of the sentence on purpose, but... Um, I sent to my friends and they're like, really? They're like, we go to you for music recommendations. You're sending me Madison beer. Like, what are you doing? And I said, I said, I said, just trust me. There are two songs in this album that are absolutely incredible. The rest of it is, is fine pop music. But like these two songs yeah. are just, if she does this, I will become a huge fan. Right. And so what are, I, what are the songs? Uh, one is called um, Default. I don't have to look at the okay. other one, but, but, but default is like a lot of your stuff where it's like, there is no chorus. It just, it just one song that plays through and everything is different. And like, yeah. you really get to hear a full vocal register and they do add some kind of poppy features that, that, you know, aren't the, aren't the, the most satisfying, but like, I think there's a core of an artist there that I really hope that as she gets older, she breaks out of. And I think that, you know, she has potential. Yeah. To, it's like Justin Bieber's same thing. Like, I, I think he's an incredible. Oh Yeah. Musician, musician, but like most of his music, I couldn't listen to once. I'm just like, please, right. pl- whoever, whoever's <laughs> producing this, whoever's writing this, stop. Like, if you just if you just did your own thing, I'm sure it would be really cool and funky. And I think that's the problem. Yeah, like, I think generally artists look for contrast. So like yes. the ones that like start kind of in, in a more like obscure sense, like will gravitate sometimes towards like a, the more of the a bit more of the limelight, and the music will follow suit. Uh, and vice versa, like people will be very comfortable with where they've reached and all they want to do is explore. Um, and I've experienced that recently. I'm, I'm working with a, a new artist I'm incredibly excited by. I, I can't talk about it yet, but sure, it's it's been very humbling uh, because it's like riding along with their journey um, and and meeting them where they're at in their mind is like the biggest challenge, hands down, because it has not been expected at all. 
in terms of like where they're at, you know, judging yeah. and like you'd like listen to all the music. And I think that's like what excites them entirely is mm. like breaking that expectation. Yeah. And it goes back to like the, the Mumford and Sons thing and, and the purity of it. And I, yeah. it's all, it's all for the great, re- the right reasons, but like getting on that same page is like, wow, that's like, that's <laughs> really where it's all about. Um, but and that's like that's, anything in, in creation, like entrepreneurial uh, software, creating companies, like designing things, architecture, science, like it's all about finding like collective nexus. Like what is the nexus of this exact piece that you can find that magic? Yeah, but it takes conversations, though, because like if you, you know, let's say you're like, you know, Uber like invites you in for an interview to talk about where you could take their company, but yeah. they want to get it. They, but they want to get into like the being the next Netflix. Do you know what I mean? Like there needs to be a conversation yeah. there, but like, but then like artists are weird. Cause like, they don't like to talk about the fact that they want to be like the net, net, the next Netflix. They just want you to feel it. Yeah. Um, be, yeah. because like no one likes to like talk about like emulating because no one wants to emulate at the end of the day. So yeah. you don't want to get the wrong impression. Um, so yeah, it's, that's, that's, that's the biggest challenge. But once you get there on the same page, then you're kind of flying. Um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And even that, I think there's some artists in the same vein of the last things we talked about where I heard they recorded stuff and I was like, this is just too much. And then I heard them do it acoustic live. And I was like, if they, if this was the album, that would be, uh, <laughs> you know, I think my favorite example of this is, um, I heard Harry Styles' most recent album, the song Cherry, and I was like, this is just too poppy, too eccentric, I'm not for it. And then I heard his tiny desk, and he opens that song, and I was like, this is amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is that the one he did outside in front of, like, the camper? Uh, No, this was the one inside at the the desk itself, but, like, they opened the song Cherry, and it's just, it's so emotional, and he's so raw, and and everyone is just such a talented group all kind of vibing together. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just, I just love things you don't expect. Uh, like Steve yeah, Martin's band, absolutely. like, you know, what is it? Steve mountain and the steep Canyon mountain Rangers, whatever it is. Like yeah. you would never expect Steve Martin to, to slap a banjo really hard, but he's actually really, really good. <laughs> yes. And it sounds nice. Um, yeah, absolutely. I love shit like that. That's, yeah. that's another thing like live. Oh man. Like live record. I, I'd love to do way more live. See, the world I'm in, it's, it's just kind of unfeasible sometimes sure. to do just cause like the, the scope, but then, the idea of bringing it down can be interesting, but um, live is a whole different animal. I mean, as as you know, but when I just from my own personal experience, when I did uh, my song Forker first as a record, and then and then as like a live recording, oh my god, I love the live version so much better. And I'll it's link the YouTube like, below. It's great. Thanks. I I and it's because of like the noises. I fell in love with like the hiss of it and like the realness and it's like so unexpected why i like that but like everything that i seek to remove or the instruments that i use that seek to clean up was the Mm. thing that i was missing and i like that's so like wow that's just that blows my mind um that this thing that like we're all seeking to remove um in in terms of the uh the industry of like the musical instruments that we make whether they're ritual or real we're always removing noise and hiss and getting it better and like that's what happened in the 80s all these great synths became digitized and quicker and more uh, presets and all that stuff and they started get putting in worse chips these digital chips in there and they like it started losing and now uh, i just got this uh prophet five which is an incredible synthesizer um, they, they put in a knob in there to actually like turn the age back. And what it, all it does is not saying oh, I'm not belittling it. It's not all it does, but what it essentially does is it detunes the instrument. It makes it sound worse. That's, that's incredible. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, but it's what musicians love about the classic instrument.
instruments yeah. is they sound slightly bad and that they sound human. I that's just all you can say is they're human yeah. and yeah. God, that is just such a realization um, and something that like I want to explore. So when I again back to that the, the Wildlight single I did, that's that's essentially one take of of the orchestra playing that and of a score that I wrote out, and it just feels live and real. And there's even one part I took out the end where um, a uh, I. I had to edit out because it just felt like really vain. But to me, it felt special at the at the moment because this in these sessions, you're not supposed to say anything. It's very like you know you're the you're paid by every single minute is like you know so much money and it's everyone's very hush and quiet. But at the end, this like this like session uh, musician, the violist or something, she like just like re- like exclaimed at the end of it after like playing through the first time, and that was like so cool to me because it was like it's like first live performance in a way, <laughs> and yeah. I almost wanted to leave it in because it's like you know what's cool about like these recordings is like hearing the audience kind of cheering through or like someone yeah. shouting and the artist kind of like shouts sure. back in the middle of a verse. So like, I don't know, that stuff is really special. I think the more uh, modernized and digitized and perfected we get in the world, I think the young like TikTok Gen Z generations great at this. They have like, they're just nailing it all the time uh, because they were forced to in their rooms and with TikTok yeah. during the pandemic. But like the realness is in the mistakes, and I think we're gonna to start to see that more and more in music. Uh, yeah. Where like people are I, just gonna like so. build up. Yeah, they're gonna build up through a verse to a pre-chorus. Yeah. Someone's gonna like laugh and make a joke, and then it's just gonna like then hit a chorus yeah. or something. Yeah. It's gonna be ridiculous, but people. Are Kanye love does it, it well. Yeah, Kanye does it. Um, Bunny Bears on a few albums. The the one that is always amazing to me that you don't realize they're doing it as one straight cut until they are laughing at the end is. Uh, there's a song called another day by the album leaf. Um, yeah. And, uh, it's funny cause they, they finished playing it. It's incredible. Very, very like synced in. And then they're just like, they're laughing at the end. They're like, Oh, we, we messed up in that second part right there. And they just leave it in there. <laughs> um, it's also like, I, th- yeah. I think so, so Nils from, uh, I think I get his name. Oh, right. yeah. That's his name. Um, oh, yeah. but he has a live album and some of my favorite variations of his songs are like the best done live. And, the most amazing thing is that like the first two minutes he goes in this rant and then he just stops. He's like, this isn't how I want to start this. And just like starts over with a brand new song. And it's like, it's yeah. just so raw and natural. Like, and people, people are there for that. Right. Um, yep. Nils is already 10 years ahead of us yeah. as, as, as per usual. Um, and so it's just, yeah, it's incredible. It's really incredible. I think, um, just it's, it's important to look to people who are like really taking the time and thinking about like really zooming out and thinking about the whole picture and not just, yeah. Oh, are my notes right? Am I, is my production right? Am I, yeah. you know, I don't know. I, I don't, the only thing I don't like about what's happening, uh, with, with like modern technology is like, like this constant, like Instagram culture of like creating mini clips for people, like pieces that just exist for like, you know, some likes. And I, I, it's a mode, it's one way of, of doing things, but like you're, I don't know. It's it's being forced too much by the technology and by the algorithms um, at play there, and it's like, it's a great way to kind of get over one's own um, feelings of holding music back. But I think it it doesn't allow you to dig deeper into things, and it, it kind of puts you at the mercy of people's uh, reception sure. and the whims that happen. Yeah. Um, I just yeah, it can be a little dangerous. But I think it sometimes is very inspiring. And I, I actually 
uh, I like to completely contradict myself. I like a lot of artists who do things just purely for like the sensory experience of it. It's kind of yeah. like the equivalent of like watching like a, a wheat field in Nebraska, like someone's playing with like, you know, tape machines and, and loops and like, that's just that. And it's, it's there, but I don't know. Um, it, it's hard for it to feel like it's, it's, um, a long living, uh, thing because, you know, we, we respond to like being real and, and, and feeling like um, like we're in the moment. And what Nils did with his album of like taking these tours and, and turning them into a uh, into an album is really, I think, special. Um, yeah, it's and insane. Really forward thinking. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that as we go closer, it's like, um, you know, you have artists, especially in the pandemic, that did like virtual world tours and like VR where like you could you could you take put on your Oculus and watch it perform on stage and. <laughs> I think yeah. that, that we're getting to that, but I mean, I grew up, my, my mom is like, I, I don't know anyone, even like some other performers that go to as many concerts as she does, like hundreds per year, like during like pre pandemic. <laughs> um, and yeah. so like, I always grew up on live music. Like my first ever concert, I think I was, uh, second grade. I saw the Foo Fighters in Boston. Um, <laughs> and that was that kind of like catalyzed. Like it was the first time I felt that like you feel it live. It's like, oh, I heard that from the radio and now they're playing it, but it sounds different, but I like this version just as much, you know? Amazing, um, yeah. And I think that that raw feeling of live music, it's like when people ask questions like, what do you miss most during the pandemic? I think you could pull a lot of people and live music would be right up there. Oh, um, 100%. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. With live music. I can't wait yeah. for all the tours. Like everyone's going to be like <laughs> ready to go on tour. And I, I just hope that I'll have these, you know, living between Seattle and New York, like, I just would love some weeks where it's like, cool, I'm seeing three people this week. Like I'm seeing Kishibashi and Boney Fair. And then, oh, Nils is playing at some small little club uptown. Like I'll, I'll catch yes. it on Friday. Like that's that's what I want. Yeah. I want to be able to be like. I think yeah. it's going to be like like tsunamis of people in like Woodstock style camper vans. Like oh, going I can't from wait. tour to tour. <laughs> well, someone mentioned they were like, we should, we should redo Woodstock because this is the summer to do it. Like you're only allowed in if you're vaccinated. Um, and yes. just have like anyone and everyone comes in. Like if, if Tom Petty wants to come play or Billy Eilish wants to come play, like just let them play. I think yes. it'd be beautiful. I would come. I mean, they could be sponsored by TikTok and Amazon <laughs> and, 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 and other companies that made a lot of money during the pandemic. Um, yeah. And it's already a free happening. For the world. You know, it's already oh, happening. Sure. Like people oh, are yeah. like a million steps ahead of this. Sure. Uh, sure. It's going to be great. Whatever it is. Great. So, um, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna get you out of here on a few um, questions that uh, I consider to be called. You can answer them in any motion you want to, in terms of that you can answer it in one word or 18 paragraphs or whatever you please. Um, okay. And the first one <laughs> is: Is there something you believe in that most do not? Uh, currently aliens. <laughs> I think that's becoming more popular. Is like, I think that's a, that's a, most people believe in it that. is. I, maybe, I like maybe it is getting more popular. I definitely within my circle, uh, of, of friends, I'm like, sure. they're like, what the, what the hell are you doing, man? But like, there's a lot of fascinating stuff out there. I just think there's a lot of, uh, beautifully unexplained, uh, technological advancements right now that we're witnessing, uh, that yeah. we have zero explanation for whatsoever. Yeah. So, that's a good term of uh, waitlisting. <laughs> um, funnily enough, it's like we never talked about my background, but my background's in actually aerospace engineering, and, and I did rocket oh, awesome. engineering. And so I, I've, I have a few friends who work at SpaceX and do stuff like that. And so Incredible. we talk about this all the time. Like through college, we all were like, starting in 2012, we're like, nope, aliens are real. Like to prove us otherwise. <laughs> and I just think that like, there's enough. Like I'm a big believer in the scientific theory, and that 
there's so many unfalsifiable things about aliens out there that it's impossible to be like, no. And whenever a government's like, definitely don't exist, you're like, I don't believe you, bro. Like, you're hiding no, something it's like, from us. It's even like the government is like saying, yeah, they actually exist. But like as a society, we're still saying they don't too. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, I think it contradicts uh, with the largely religious. I don't want to pull into such a, maybe a taboo category, but like. If aliens are real, it, it really does begin to contradict a lot of religious beliefs. Um, well, so, yeah. Well, I mean, so did like planes, right? Or like, sure. oh, the clouds <laughs> are supposed to be where God lives. Um, oh, yeah. just kidding. He's he's like invisible in all of us, which is like, I don't know. I, all these theories then start to like coalesce and prove themselves. I think there is yeah. a common theory for actually most things. And we just mm, don't understand it yet. And yeah. the physics don't really explain it, but like yeah. everything that's metaphysical, like is probably connected all the way from the ridiculousness of, of aliens to, yeah. to God itself. Yeah. Uh, okay. Sure. <laughs> no, it's like, it's, it's, it's what Stephen Hawking set off to do when he wanted to make the theory of everything. Right. It's like, let's, let's, let's find, cause yeah. there has to be, and same thing with John Nash, like beautiful mind. We mentioned earlier, um, you know, he was a big believer in governing dynamics, which is this idea of like equations to, Assembly, essentially applying mathematical equations to what some people consider to be random acts, right? And I think there's mm. a lot of, we could probably talk for eight hours about that. But um, yeah. So next question: If you had a billion dollars that you couldn't spend in yourself, what problem would you try to solve? Oh wow. Okay. A um, billion dollars is is a lot of money. I mean, you could solve so many problems. Um, yeah, I, I would be fascinated to see what the world would be like if, if people didn't have to like hustle and do things they didn't want to. Like if you Amazing. created a universal income, I know it wouldn't last very long with only a billion dollars, but yeah. um, yeah, God, like, or if you just like told, you paid off everyone who like was like charging people rent or like in interest rates sure. for mortgages, like just like living became extremely cheap. Um, that would be really interesting to see. Um, yeah. cause I think people would just kind of like, I think a lot of like the, the horrors of the world are just done because of like, everyone's trying to get theirs, you know, and just like, sure. uh, you yeah. know, just, get, just get by. And, and there's always a justification for it, even at the highest level, you know, it's like yeah. some guy, you know, does a terrible thing. It's just to make sure his kid can afford a nice private school or something like sure. that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and it's, um, it's, and it's kind it's of really wild when you realize just like take the recent stimulus round, for example, it's like they sent out uh, close to a hundred million payments of $1,400. Um, and I think it was more than that, maybe 200 million, but like e uh -huh. even that alone was like hundreds of billions just to get most people like less than a month's rent. And so you kind of look at the system that we're in and then yeah. obviously a whole other conversation for a lot of day, but, um, no, but it um, didn't, it didn't break the world. Did it? It just like no. kept people going. So I don't know. Sure. Um, that's a conversation for their time. Uh, next question. Is there a story that your family or parents like to tell about you? Um, God. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I was, uh, so going back, it's funny, going back to aliens, um, when I was a kid, yeah, I guess this goes all the full circle. I didn't realize how, how like long ago I was fascinated by them, but I was watching a, um, a documentary with my parents about like, um, New Mexico and Roswell. And, um, they like showed like aliens on the table and I must've asked them like, Hey, like what's, what are they doing? Like, what's that? Like, why is that body on the table? And they're like, Oh, like the coroner is examining them or something. Something came with like the coroner. And it's a really funny story where uh, we had like a, um, like a kindergarten, um, uh, class uh, where like you had to draw like a piece of artwork of what you wanted to be when you grew up 
and I was I was sitting here and uh, drawing my artwork, and I and I finished it, and my parents went in for the extremely public like you know parent conference, and they, yeah. and they went in there, and like everyone's like fireman, policeman, you know, superstar. And like they get to mine and it's like this largely like white piece of paper, um, like with like, you know, you know, it's like kids kind of scratch, but it's enough. Clearly you can make out a table and a, and, and a, a cadaver on the, on the table with an arm <laughs> hanging off of it. And, uh, and it says coroner on one side and it's clearly not an alien because I'm a, I'm a child and I can't draw an alien that well. So it just looks like it's a dead body. And so like the pure shock, uh, that they went through on that night was, uh, <laughs> They, they continue to tell that story. Um, so I, I fortunately avoided that career path. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's great. Um, although being a corner for aliens, I might sign up for that if that was an option. I think it would be Hell cool yeah. To dis- dissect. Because <laughs> like, I, I, yeah, I mean, we, we can make a podcast about aliens. Um, if you could send <laughs> a single push notification to everyone's phone in a given area, where would it be and what would it say? Um, to everyone's given phone in an area. Oh man. Um, God, I would just like give them like just a mantra for, for just like joy and, and peace and hope. Like I just, you know, giving something like, I go back to like, you know, looking for these sensory experiences. I feel like these like the real moments that like cleanse you and like, you know, how much people connected with nature in the pandemic and how much that saved people. And just like, I don't know, giving, it would be a push note. I'll give everyone just like, oh, uh, here we go. Like what that Super Bowl ad that uh, Calm did where they just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sh- you know, like for a minute, they just showed you like a rainstorm. Like that is so powerful. I would just do that. I would just like give someone like, like uh, a minute of bliss, yeah, yeah. like a Montana lake for a minute. Or or a full twenty four hour cycle. I don't know. I feel like that would be really uh, special. I love that. Um, and and I'll get you out of here on this. Uh, do you have any advice for your uh, you know assume future grandchildren's generation? Oh my god. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, trust your instincts. Trust trust your intuition. It's what makes you human. And uh, it's kind of like the most important thing. Uh, you have to question them all the time, but definitely trust them, um, throughout. And also like, God, like, um, whatever feels like something that is like a trend or something you have to do at the moment is so fleeting. It's like so incredibly fleeting. I mean, whatever, I, I can't imagine whatever, like, um, uh, brain app that they have at the moment that's like connected to their like psyche and it's like the latest rage is like everyone's like thinking this funny dance and like showing each other their thought dances or something (laughs) (laughs) whatever the hell it is um but like whatever it is like god it's just it's so fleeting and like try to think of the bigger picture that's all yeah i mean it's funny we joke about like a idea of a thought dance now but 30 years now they could be laughing at us being like, who are these people thinking thought dances aren't real? Like, <laughs> you know, like, you, you know, absolutely. I mean, have you, have you ever talked to like a 16 year old or like a fifth or like a 14 year old girl in high school? Like I, I, I luckily have some like family friends that have younger kids and it's amazing because mm-hmm. they ask about like, Oh, that was so cool. Like, did you post it? I'm like, 
no, no, but there was no posting. Like it was just like we took a picture and we moved on with our lives. You know, there was, there was no Snapchat oh filters God. or stuff like that. And it's it's amazing when yeah, they realize yeah. that. They're like, when did you get a phone? I was like, I don't know. I was I was 13, 14, which to me was like I was one of the first kids to get one in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. And uh, yeah. nowadays they get them at like I feel like kindergartners have iPhones in case they get lost going from you know the cafeteria to the bathroom. Oh, a hundred percent. Like all of these like things of like calling someone like the things you had to do is just gonna, it's, it's so weird. And like, and yeah. it's going to continue on like the things that like we're noticing now. Um, and like, and keeping up on, like, it's just gonna, it's, it's going to progressively feel weird. So like there's going to be a part of TikTok that's incredibly embarrassing and like antiquated. And that's kind of yeah. funny to think. <laughs> no, it is. I mean, everything is right. It's like, yeah, I, I think we talk about technology and music and especially instrumentation. It's going to be amazing to see like how these things develop, but also like the Stradivari's Stradivari is a great example. It's like, here is something that many people have tried to replicate, but still no one can replicate what this one man was able to do. You know, now that's, that's why I love doing what I do because it's, it's traveling through time. Like I'm, I'm borrowing from the past to reach into the future. And like, that's something that was like incredibly powerful in Tenet is like, Oh, how's he talking to the future? He's just making things and yeah. that's putting it out into the future. That is so Amazing. fucking cool. Yeah. Yes. And, and when, when that, that line is like, we all make the future, you know, it's, we make it now. Yes, um, absolutely. And then you start thinking about how they came back from the future, but they really didn't because it's just realtication of time and entropy. And yeah, <laughs> this is a whole uh, nother podcast. <laughs> whole, whole nother podcast. But um, otherwise, thank you. Thank you so much for the time. Um, thank you so much, Rob. Do, do you have anything you want to plug or any, I know wildlife just came out. Um, that'll be linked below and then it did. New yeah, projects? please, please check it out and uh, let me know what you think. Um, it brought me a lot of joy making it. Great. Well, um, unless there's anything else, I hope you guys all have a good rest of your week and, uh, all right. Cyrus, thank you so much for, uh, for the time and, and we'll end this recording and then I'll connect with you shortly after offline. It was such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. All right. See ya. See ya.